ridiculous. But yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know about this. I mean, more power to people who are using like different tools or or finding boutique things that they're finding are useful uh, in the hobby. But you know, this one, uh, this one tool that I saw someone talking about, it costs twenty pounds. That's like eight hundred dollars, isn't it? Probably. I mean, not since Brexit. I think it's only like thirty dollars now. Or <laughs> are we back down to, to an actual yeah. reasonable conversion rate? Yeah, no, they like they no, they were at the unreasonable conversion rate, but Bre- Brexit like just tanked it that hard, right? Um, what was the tool? Do you remember? Was it the? Oh, they were they were using a like cuticle tool for mold line removal. It's this like long stick that has two different little uh, like tapered edges at each end. Like, I mean, it, it could be great. I have no experience I, using it, but the, I'm just noticing this trend of people being like, I have this incredibly expensive thing that I've started using that's better than anything else. I'm like, isn't the like $3 like the, hobby knife? Like the, the side of the, the side of the like regular ass hobby knife. I've never had it. I've used this since 40 K this exact same one. Um, I mostly just use an exacto knife now. I know that's the name brand, you know, it's tissue versus Kleenex, but like this is, mm-hmm. I actually splurged for the name brand Exacto. Ah, so um, that's how you know you've been in the hobby long enough. Yeah. I mean, granted, I did, I did, I did buy the Games Workshop mold line remover, so I did get suckered into that one, but it's really good. So that's why I do want to point out: if people are finding these tools are great, more power to them. Do not feel dissuaded. Use whatever weird and wacky tool works for you. It's just it's just a trend I've noticed over the past week well, or two. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I, so I have a I have a couple theories or a couple not not theories, just like premises around this. One, we're all going fucking crazy. Like, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, that's all that's delicacy meant to your field, but like we're all losing our minds when it comes to like hobby and being locked down and trying to like entertain ourselves. Um, so like that's number one. Like we're just just needing to. That being said, like I watched Nick, uh, Doctor True, your your fellow Warhammer doctor, mm-hmm. um, I watched him in real time become tempted, need, and then buy the God Hand snips. <laughs> like it was in real time. Like I watched someone's descent into madness. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like and and like me, like the good friend I am, one hundred percent enabled him because it was funnier that. Oh way. yes, of course. It was like, oh what? no, you totally need them. I understand. It's like an RPG weapon. Don't you need good equipment? Like, you just like, don't you want to open up your inventory like slot? Like, you hit I on your keyboard, and then like you can see your inventory HUD pop up next to your head, and then like you you drag the God Hand snips into your into your snips like tool belt. Like, don't you want to do that? I of course, yeah. And like, <laughs> and then it just took like, so he was like already. That was like conversation night one. Was watching him like very slowly hype himself. And then the next day I saw somebody, like, just post, like, a quick video or something like that of how much they liked him, and I tagged him in it, and the next response I got from him is just, like, him showing me he ordered them and when they'd be here. <laughs> like, yeah, that that sounds about right. Like, I, But, I mean, I, I was reading some reviews online, and someone was saying, like, yeah, it only got me through, like... 10 space marines before they told but god those were the neatest cuts i've ever made in a sprue yeah yeah i mean i've got i've got these like genera generic like i literally when i was getting stuff for hobby like supplying up for hobby i just went to amazon and i bought the cheapest everything this was Mm. 2017 i got these i uh i've built 
then LON, now Soul Blight Gravelords, Osiarch Bone Reapers, the entire model range, two Blood Bowl teams, 180 assorted gores for my Beasts of Chaos, <laughs> and a, f a handful of Slanesh models before I kind of like sputtered out of like my hobby interest, you know. God, it's been over a year now, right? Like, since I. <laughs> like, on these little things. And when tools like this come out, the funniest part to me is people making up new language for a way to, like, rate them. This happens with everything. <laughs> like, they're like, they're like, well, we need to talk about, like, like, why is this better? And, like, now we need to invent an entire language. Like, a whole yeah, lexicon. Yeah. yeah. What's like, the term for how little flash it leaves behind on the model after snipping it off the sprue? Yeah. Deflashing? What's what's the deflashing rating on yeah, yeah, what's snippers? The, yeah, these get a 10 out of 10 in deflashing. Um... <sighs> Ergonomic is literally a word that marketing made up for, like, something that's comfortable. Right, yeah. Oh, they're ergonomically, you know, they get an 8 out of 10, you know, fit in my hand nice and good. Like, it just, you may, this whole subculture, it's... Yeah. I, these, these are inspired by modern art chair design. Their deflashment uh, rating is very high, but, man, ergonomics are very poor on these. You're spending a lot for that deep deflashification. And every review ends ultimately the same. Like, people with just, like, six of them spread out in front of them, they're like, well, these are my main ones I use. But, like, if you can afford them, these are great. And they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I saw on, like, an, old, an older Warhammer Weekly, uh, one of Vince's hobby cheating videos years ago, where he showed off, I think, several different pieces of sandpaper and, that he uses. And I was like... You don't use those. <laughs> you use those once a year when you do like a golden demon entry, don't you? Don't show me that Ziploc bag full of sandpaper. It wasn't a Ziploc bag. He had something better. Than that. Oh, yeah. No, he Actually, had like a, he had a suitcase. Might... He had like a briefcase, <laughs> like James yeah. Bond. He just like opens it up. like. <laughs> but then again, I mean, I am not a, a hobby professional. I'm sure Vince if, if in that moment would be like, I do use every one of those sandpapers. They have a very specific purpose. And how dare you, sir? But you are a professional. A, a professional in a sense that is relevant to one half or perhaps both halves of tonight's mm -hmm. topic. <laughs> it's relevant to something. I, I, can, I, can talk about one, I can talk about one of them with authority. The other one, well, I don't know about authority. Well, well I see Chat Gank showing up. We already got W. Soren dropping a good evening from Texas on everyone. Good evening to Texas, and how's it going, Hades? I am, of course, the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man in Age of Sigmar. Uh, this is episode 107 of AOS Rantcast, and I am joined tonight by absolute chat favorite, uh, the Dr. Alex. How's it going, man? Hello. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, and we checked everyone. 107. We had to confirm a couple times, but we, we got there. We figured it out. <laughs> 107. Yeah, I, uh, two, over two years now, uh, podcasting. Yeah. Wow, congratulations, Rankcast. Well done. Yeah, something... Uh, so I've been a streamer for about eight years. You can check the, how how, uh, how old my son is. And I have had this <laughs> pumpkin for all of my October marathons for five of those years. Um, wow. So so this is Meftober 2021. Meftober begins early because of you, Australia. I know you're in the future. I start it one day early. Not because I don't stream on October 31st and I still want to have 31 days, but because of you. Would I lie to you? <laughs> Maybe. 
Solid, maybe. Solid. Awesome, what I like. I'm yeah. a content creator. You can't trust me at all. Um, Firm, maybe, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, GDad909 showing up with a gift and a tier one sub to the community for a total of 38 big gifts to the chat. Thank you so much for that uh, gift. Dropping it on uh, Budtastic. So enjoy the uh, emotes. Um, love these two fine gentlemen. Love you too. Love you too, Dave. All right. So uh, Thank you, tonight. G-Dad. Go ahead. Thank you, G Dad. Yeah. So, um, I-, I guess so. So tonight, if you want to, like, we've got some wacky list science, which is kind mm-hmm. of a hallmark. One of your, one of the things I think you're known for. Um, come on, do crazy lists. This is, I think, perhaps your fourth or fifth time being on on the show. Um, fourth time doing lists, I believe, and the first time we we did some. Uh, like a really fun episode, we kind of mapped the. Uh, well, I guess you can reset it for everybody, maybe, and, and kind of in- introduce yourself along the way. If you don't know this man yet, for shame, chat gang. But go ahead and introduce <laughs> yourself anyway. So, uh, for those of you who uh, haven't seen me before, I'm Dr. Alex Malonis. I'm a clinical psychologist and uh, and also an Age of Sigmar player. And so, I primarily work doing. Uh, individual therapy. I do couples therapy and psychological assessment. And um, a lot of my work focuses on mood management, you know, people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, uh, relationship issues and boundaries. Um, But I also specialize in working with the LGBTQ plus community. I, I do work with poly relationships. And I especially try to emphasize using techniques from positive psychology, humanistic psychology, and also a lot of self-compassion work. Um, and so for some reason with all of that, I play dark elves, the worst <laughs> bastards in the setting who aren't out-and-out out demons. So so there you go. I don't know how those two correlate, but you know, everybody likes to play the bad guy from time to time. Well, I, I think inverting yourself is one, of the, is one of the easiest ways to get into a, like, a fun competitive headspace i mean i i do this with 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 age of sigmar i i have to play the bad guys because no i'm actually this mean in reality but no i have to play (laughs) villains because like if i don't then like i just won't care about Mm. the you know like and it's a competitive game and like i want to like have that like like i'm here to destroy you like sort of rp (laughs) in my mind type thing um it's just part of my enrichment my enjoyment of the game um so, so tonight we're not giving any like clinical advice mind you we're just gonna, mm-hmm. we might end up talking about some stuff though so if you want to uh, give your disclaimer real quick yeah so as a as a boilerplate disclaimer to everyone while i am a professional in the mental health field uh, right now i'm here in in a fun capacity or maybe even a, in a bit of an, an educational capacity but you know this does not make you my client this does not establish a relationship between us Um, If you are needing help and you're needing help with something like accessing mental health resources or, you know, you want to touch base with someone and just get some direction of, you know, how do I even get help for this? That I'm more than happy to help you with and and we'll touch base on on how to reach out to me. But, you know, this is not establishing any relationship for us. I'm not your therapist. I'm just here to tell you about some uh, some interesting psychological principles and how they overlap with Warhammer. Right. But for that, you got to wait till the real "quote unquote" half of of of, age, of, <laughs> of rant cast. We're going to start with some wacky lists. So uh, we're going to start with the wacky lists. All right, bold. Let's start with a. Let's we'll start with a wacky list because I think um I think there's maybe a I think there's maybe a, a, a lesson to be taught. I mean, we're going to talk about happiness, right? Like, mm-hmm. and essentially how to like enrich and kind of kind of hold that, right? Like how to you know how mm-hmm. do I maintain it? Or I, I don't know how you term it. 
Um, and I think there's something fun in in wacky lists, just the thought mm. experiment of it. And more broadly, Age of Sigmar, I, as far as personal enrichment as a hobby goes, uh, I think it's one of the, the better ones because you kind of get the total exercise of the mind you know you, you have the mm-hmm. problem solving from from list building to tabletop play plus you also have the cre- creative outlet of actually hobbying and painting it's taking something look i i love like throwing money at something to just like feel good for like the temporary dopamine hits of like i bought the thing and now it's mine and i feel good but age of sigmar helps you hold that a little longer because you yeah it feels great to like have a bunch of new in box vampires but once you put them down and you make something and it's permanently there it feels a lot better uh, at least that's my my perspective anyway. Yeah, for sure. One of the nice things about our hobby is that there are a lot of opportunities to get a great return on your investment if you go about doing it in in a in a solid way, in a sustainable way. But you very much can also get into that buying the thing for the quick hit and then are you actually going to get around to it? Right. You know, I, I say this on the verge of setting up a sprue library in my basement, which is a filing cabinet that will have folders of what faction these sprues belong to, because they just they just need an actual organizational system now. I I, I have a uh, little uh, it's a uh, nuts and bolts like sorter. Um, mm. You know, it's a yeah, probably about two feet tall, uh, foot and a half wide. Uh, that I intend to put all my bits in because they're getting out of control. They're just all over my office right now. <laughs> like there's just like loose sprues, pretty much in any corner you could like you could like go to. It's it's getting bad. The only presentable part of my office is this right here. <laughs> there's a very curated cone in your office, right? <laughs> uh, so. Uh, let me let me introduce for those people who may, who haven't seen a wacky list episode before, kind of what the what the tone is, what we're aiming for here. When when we're doing wacky lists, our goal is very much to say, can we do the thing? And we very rarely <laughs> ask, should we do the thing? Right, right. Now now that's that's partly for fun, but it's also partly because um, this can be a great exercise in learning about bad synergy about how much in uh, investment you need to make into something to make it do anything, which often is way more than you need to. Um, and sometimes it can reveal genuinely surprising things that that might catch someone that might be, you know, kind of fun to have in your list or or maybe it, it sets up an interesting challenge for you. These are not your competitive list. This is not what you bring to a tournament hoping to win. Although if you ever do, I mean, please let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll be really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is more there as a thought exercise for fun. Right, right. And uh, all three lists tonight, we've got three lists to go over. All three of them are Stormcast this evening, out of the new Stormcast home, yes? Correct, yes. This is the Stormcast episode. I, I am a Stormcast player. I am excited about the new book. And so I thought, why not give it its inaugural silly list? So um, it's funny because this is the most poignant and timely you have ever been with a list. We had one where like the Zinch book released like I like the week after or something like that. Was it? Oh yeah, I had I had a Daughters of Cain list That's what it was. that was inval- invalidated like a week afterwards. <laughs> to be fair, I went in saying, by the way, everyone, this may not exist in a week. So right. this is this is your chance just to see it for for reasons. But what could have been right? Like sometimes you got to have that like. You know, that moment where you look up and you glance off into space and you're just like, that would have been cool. <laughs> yes. 
it was one of uh, one of the rare moments I have where I'm like, was Games Workshop listening? That they were like, that's too fun. Strike that from the book. Yeah, fun detected. Get out of here. Yeah. Like just like they open the airlock and just like launch fun into the atmosphere, out of the atmosphere, and just <laughs> close it again. Um, all right, so this first list up, we've got Hungry Hungry Star Drakes. Now this is promising me something. There are Star Drakes, and they're going to be hungry. Perhaps Correct. very hungry. They they are. So uh, this one, I think, really captures the idea of a silly list really well. Um, so let I'll, I'll walk you through the general parts. Now, with every silly list, pretty much the core of it, there's usually one or two core concepts. And then the rest is just kind of like stuff thrown on for good measure. So we're going to focus on those. And then so if you don't hear a certain unit mentioned or you see something on the list and we don't go over it, it's just because I threw it in to fill in points. So don't worry that much about it. So with our Hungry Hungry Star Drakes, we are a Stormcast army. Um, we are a Tempest Lords storm host. Uh, which one is uh, Tempest Lords? I haven't internalized the book whatsoever yet. Tempest Lords now makes all Prosecutors battle lines. So all the, the flying models that we got way back when Age of Sigmar started. Um, and every flying model in a Tempest Lords army can reroll one of its charge dice when it charges. So since we have Star Drakes and we have Prosecutors, all of them are getting a chance to reroll a charge. Uh, not the whole charge, but one of those dice, which is usually more than enough. Yeah, that's plenty. I mean, you're going to keep the, the three or the four, and then you're going to reroll that one or two, right? Sure, or... yeah. You, you you get that six and that one, and you're like, mm -hmm. I, I, I need a little more. I need a little more than that dice. Right, right. Yeah. Our uh, grand strategy is Beastmaster, because I'm pretty sure that one is, you know, you have monsters left on the field. Don't worry too much about grand strategies. That's for people trying to win games, and that's not why we're here. <laughs> um, so the core of this list are our Hungry Hungry Star Drakes. We have our Lord Celestint on Star Drake, who is our general, who has the Arcane Tome, making him a wizard, and the command trait, Master of Magic, and the spell Starfall. Now, these all of that leads up to giving him that one spell, that Starfall. Now, why is Starfall important? Starfall is a new Stormcast spell, and I just have some references here on my phone. Look at this professional so, here. This is this is a doctor, after all. Everything he says comes from a doctor's perspective. <laughs> so, it, yes, absolutely. This, this is the doctorate really paying off, is the attention to detail in, in list building. Right. Uh, yeah, that's paying my student loans for sure. Um, so Starfall is one of the, the new Stormcast spells. It works a little differently than it did before. Since we have a Lord, it has an 18-inch range. Um, you pick a point on the battlefield, and you roll a dice for each enemy within three inches of that point. And on a three-up, they cannot make pile-in moves. So in and of it, that itself, that's pretty good. You know, big monsters like to fight units that can't pile in because then you can just tag that one guy. You get to use all of your stuff and they just have one piddly model attacking you back. So that's pretty, pretty nice in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, good tech. Yeah, and then we have Master of Magic, so we get to re-roll the cast on that. And it has a casting value of five. So pretty overall, castable. pretty good. Pretty castable, yeah. So why did we go through all the trouble of making a Lord Celestine into a wizard to do all of this? We did that because of Cavernous Jaws. 
every Star Drake has the cavernous jaws ability where when it piles in and fights before it does anything else, you get to roll a few dice, normally three, and you pick a few models in the unit you're attacking. And if you roll higher than the wounds characteristic for that model, it just dies. You just eat them like they're little plastic balls in a children's game. Yeah, yeah, a, a coincidentally named game that I can't remember the, the name of right now. It, yeah, yeah, some some legally distinct children's <laughs> game about large animals eating small things. And their appetites. They're, they're and their appet- appetites. Appetite, appetite, rhino, I think, or something like that. It's something like that. That sounds about right. So... Now, normally, if you want to make good use of cavernous jaws, what you're trying to do is break coherency. Because the Star Trek can just pick a few models out of the unit, and especially nowadays with coherency being a much bigger thing, people are being much more careful. They're using select formations in order to try to make sure they get as many attacks as possible. Mm -hmm. So the Star Trek can break that. But one of the problems is it's very easy to fix broken coherency on a pile-in move. Three inches does a lot to fix a gap. Yeah. And so then you're trying to you're trying to think about okay, well when do I pile in and fight? You know, I might have to take some hits first, so that way I can try to break the right thing, but then they know that, so they're going to pile a certain way to make it hard for me to do it. Mm-hmm. It gets very finicky to use well. Right. Um, unless they can't pile in. <laughs> and then you get to pick when you attack. You get to pick which models you're peeling out, and your opponent can't do anything about it. So you can break half no. a unit, basically, like just from a, a decisive chomp. Exactly. Yeah. You and this works pretty well on elite units too, because you're just rolling a dice against their wounds characteristic. Um, some of these abilities in other models, you have to roll like twice their wounds characteristic or something like that. If they've got five wounds and you roll a six, they're dead. Right on. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. But <laughs> it might cast on a five up and we might have a reroll but there's a lot of pretty good magic dominance armies out there right so right. It's, it's pretty hard to even even if you get the cast off somebody might unbind it yeah nagash can roll a like can roll a three on the die a two and a one mm-hmm. and unbind you at a six right mm-hmm. so. yes but what if i told you we got plus three to cast oh how did you do that <laughs> every star drake has the arcane lineage trait which says if you are within 18 inches of this unit and you're a friendly wizard, you get plus one to cast. It doesn't say of any model with this ability. It doesn't say any of that other exclusionary criteria. It just says if you're within 18 of this unit, plus one. Mm-hmm. And we have three Star Drakes. <laughs> so now we're casting that Starfall on a two. Well, not literally on a two, because if you roll two ones, then you miscast. But boo, all you do is... boo, get it out the game. No, go on. No, we're all of us are very happy. All of us who don't own a gash are very no. happy about this. No, boo, boo. <laughs> just you, just you wait until our next list. Then we'll really see who's booing. Okay, okay. Um, so yes, yeah, so now our Lord Celestine is casting that with plus three to cast, re-rolling to make sure that this goes off. So that's one part of our Hungry Hungry Star Drakes. What do our Star Drakes want to eat? Well, they want to eat units, and now we've made it very easy to do that by making it likely that we tag them and stop their pile in. Mm -hmm. And if they cluster together close enough, then if you miss one unit, maybe you get a different one. And then you pile in and you chomp them and and break their coherency, and then you throw your attacks into the other unit instead. 
And since we've got three star drakes, if we need to, we can pile them in in all different areas and try to really break up the coherency a lot. And we're making that even easier because we're getting to re-roll one of those charge dice. So we're making it much more likely we're actually getting in to do that. Right on, right on. Uh, hey, Caleb, how's it going? So now we've got another nice thing in here. We have two Drake Sworn Templars. Now they're a little cheaper than the Lord Celestant. Their save is a little worse, which kind of sucks. They're they're now on a four up. But the the thing that makes up for it a little bit is they have a, a much better weapon in the Stormlands. And the Stormlands, if they are targeting a I believe it's a, a hero or a monster. We're just gonna quickly check that. It's definitely a monster if they target it, and they roll a six to hit. They just do D6 mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. So if you're lucky enough to get that hit off, it's only on monsters. That's where it is. Okay. Then you're getting D6 mortal wounds. Not quite as awesome as Sword of Judgment. It's not as awesome as the Sword of Judgment, and you only get three attacks, but we have the Luckstone. The Luckstone, <laughs> once per game, says you get to pick a hit, a wound, or a save roll, and make it whatever you want it to be. So once per game, we have one of those Drake's Warren Templar, because we want to hunt bigger stuff, too. We don't just want to eat the little guys. We want to sometimes eat a big guy, too. Right. Once per game, one of those Drake's Warren Templars can waltz right up to a monster and just say, D6 mortal wounds to you, sir. I like that it's a D6 mortal wounds, because you know you're going to roll the two. Every time. Right, of course. Of course. You'll do all that. You'll burn a once per game artifact and you'll roll a one. But <laughs> this isn't about but we good. Can, <laughs> we can do it. Fantastic. So that's another thing that you can do to, to help yourself out a little bit for eating the bigger things. And that uh, that particular Drake's Warren Templar has the mount trait to give it retreat and then shoot or charge later in the turn. So if, you know, we're, you're using it as part of your, your Chompo-Rama in another part of the field, and then that monster you want to attack com comes up and is more available, you can just retreat them out of combat, charge, re-roll that one charge dice, get in there with the Luckstone, and then hopefully stab it pretty good. Nice. Nice. So on top of all that, we've got. There our should be noted that like Drake Sworn actually have decent like profiles in general. Like they're a solid. They're actually a solid unit. This isn't just doing this with with a jank unit, right? Right. The the surprising thing about the Drake Sworn is that they're a little worse in combat than, say, a Fulminator, or right. you know any of the other Dracothian Guard. So if you want for for. Half the cost, you can get a unit that fights nearly as well, if not better. But sometimes there's little things that help out here. So we are getting those cavernous jaws. We are getting that bonus to cast. We are getting the chance at the mortal wounds on the storm lance. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still a bunch of wounds on a hero um, who you know has pretty decent bravery, so they can be healing with heroic actions. They're not terrible. They're not a bad unit. There's probably better choices. But we've got some interesting little things we can do here that make them worthwhile. Right, right, right on. And as a, a final piece here, we have the Prosecutors and the Knight Zephyros, who, as you're chomping up these, uh, creating these gaps in the opponent's lines, 
And also calling out, all of the Star Drakes have a pretty decent shooting attack. Reign of Stars doesn't do Mortal Wounds anymore, but it's still pretty good. It's like four attacks at you know, Ren 2 or Ren 3 that does, I think, three damage apiece. So as you're creating these gaps and holes in the opponent's army, then you can just run these prosecutors or teleport the Zephyros onto different objectives as they become available. And you don't have to survive a big, long fight. They're busy dealing with these three Star Drakes that are just chomping their way through half their army. <laughs> so just sneak over and take some objectives. Who knows? Maybe you actually get ahead on objectives that way. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Because every, uh, let's say, hippopotamus probably has some flies around it that just, you know, take advantage of the situation. <laughs> I like that you even bring the visual metaphor together with the hungry, hungry, perhaps, uh, you know, hip-hop anonymouses. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. So this is Hungry, Hungry Star Drakes. We also have an encanter in there because why not? She gets plus three to cast. Let her run around behind the Star Drakes and try to toss some spells out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, right on. And it uh, looks like what? Uh, three drop? No, wait. Uh, all of these will be many drops because I didn't bother to, to optimize the lists or to try to fit in a battle regiment or anything like that. Okay, all right. On this one, we needed to take Warlord to get the second artifact to get the Luckstone. Got it. Got it. I see. So, uh, single asterisk is uh, one battalion. Yes, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how War Scroll, uh, War Scroll Builder formats it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Um... So yeah, I mean this is this is hungry, hungry star drakes. Uh, cat was it was it a uh, castigation next? The castigation station, yes. All right, so we got castigation station here. So I noticed you've been wanting to get castigators to work for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever would make you say that, sir? It's not like I own twenty four of them. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward to this one. D. <laughs> So we got we got Castigation Station here, Stormcast mm -hmm. Eternal, Stormhost Knight, Knights Excelsior. Uh, mm -hmm. Which one's Knights Excelsior? So Knights Excelsior is Paladin focused. Um, in the story, these are the Stormcasts who are the ones that Games Workshop said, "Ooh, we need to be a bit more grimdark. Let's make some of the Stormcast jerks. Let's make some asshole Stormcast." Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the Knights Excelsior are the ones who are so dedicated to rooting out chaos that if they catch a whiff of anything that sounds off, they just execute everyone in the area. Yeah, these are the ones that I don't believe exists. They just made them for teenagers. Like, <laughs> Basically, yeah. Like, um, they were they were in the plot recently with Excelsis. So they are they are around. They are notable in the plot. But um, there's a reason why we took them in particular. Okay. All right. Cool. Um. So, so what, yeah. Go ahead. So the goal of this army, for those of you who don't play in the U.S. Midwest uh, in Age of Sigmar, we have a lot of fans of death armies. Um, we've I got don't some demons know what you're talking about. And some of them might even be on the show. Who knows? Maybe. Just this. Hiding. I, I wore this shirt just for tonight. Meftober, so <laughs> I picked out my most uh, like non- brand related death shirt that i own so just just a sweet looking skull with some stuff it's there we go <laughs> <laughs> not that it's like i like i'm a big, big fan of like horror stuff and death and no i don't know what you're talking about no no 
no, 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 no one knows who specifically I'm talking. As about, I as but... I take a sip of water from my zero <laughs> cup from Nightmare <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, for sure. Yeah. So no, we no we don't know any of these people in particular. We just know they exist. And if you're wondering, chat gang, yes, there's a set and I own them all. <laughs> Got Sally, the mayor, uh, Jack Skellington. So in uh, so in this army. We're uh, we're a we're a stormcast army. We're knights excelsior, and the reason why we called out death players is they are a huge pain in the ass. Many of us have had the experience of trying to grind out a fight with a unit of skeletons or ghouls or uh, chain twice uh, chain rasps. Twice or... he's slandered things I like on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and they just won't die. They, they're supposed to be dead, but they just won't die. They keep coming back, and it's awful. It's terrible. And new Stormcast has you covered. The worst rule. The second worst rule because, next to <laughs> Because of one of the coolest parts of the Sequitur model that actually now does something, the Redemption Cache. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Redemption Cache from the Lord Exorcist or the Sequiturs, now it has a wonderful new ability, which is on the Lord Exorcist, it's nine inches. On the Sequiturs, it's three inches from the actual captain who has the cache. That any enemy units within that radius cannot revive models. Cannot restore slain models to the unit. What a weirdly specific thing to stop us from doing. <laughs> it's, it's Table wonderful. flip. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You you won't you cannot revive now. A noteworthy exception to this are horrors because they no longer restore slain models with how they split. But everybody else, everybody else who revives things, whether it's demons with banners, whether it's um, with rally, which only applies for the exorcist, but you know because the the three inch would prevent that with rally. Um, but whether it's with spells, whether it's with you know artifacts, what have you. Yeah, there's a, you there's a couple. Will... I think Stormcast even has a unit uh, has a, one of their abilities they can restore. Some models, so you'd, you'd shut that off too, right? Yep. No Indrasta bringing stuff back. No bringing back from the the banner of apotheosis or whatever it is. You won't revive them with a stave. You won't revive them from a grave. You won't revive them on a cairn. You won't revive them anywhere. No revives for you, Mister Meth. After all, death is death. That's right. That was fantastic. A... That was fucking. Someone clip that <laughs> shit right now. <laughs> Amazing. That's right. That's right. We had a Seuss, a Seuss moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I am. Um, honestly, uh, it, I know people have been waiting for my opinion on this in general. Uh, it's it's fine, Death Players. Like, it's it's fine. <laughs> it's a limited range. Uh, yeah, it gives them a tool, but, like, we're not winning via our revival anyway. Um, and you should be throwing other things. You should be looking to destroy specifically the sequiturs a different way than like wanting to like beat them with your revival specifically right like whether it's throwing nagash into them and and or trying to break their lines with you know vordry or or if you don't care that 60 zombies won't come back because you're just going to smash the crap out of them anyway like there's it's it's fine everybody it it is this is a a, a really situational ability and i think used well and applied well it can be a really annoying thing to have in your list but certainly you're going to go up against some armies that just don't ever bother trying to revive a model or have no way to do it well what's interesting um, is it, is it it gives 
it, it Stormcast are starting to move towards a toolbox army, which mm. kind of is with this. Just again, I haven't internalized the book yet. I'll, I I haven't. It didn't officially come out, so the leaks. Like I I don't know. Like I'm a person who likes to read the physical books. Everyone knows this about me. Um, and it takes me a lot longer to like process PDFs, especially bad potato PDFs. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Um, b- <laughs> but from what, from a cursory glance, it's like Stormcast have get, gotten some toolbox, and they technically had a bunch of units before, but too many were useless. It's like, well, it's like okay, like here's a rubber mallet, or it, like, like okay, so here's like a rubber hammer out of a toy toolbox, and here's like a real hammer, and that was the kind of toolbox they had before. Now they're actually starting to get some utility pieces that just they didn't have before it's it's actually kind of neat um for i don't sure. i'm not I saying think... they are a toolbox army but like that wasn't something that they really shoot you had you abused aether wings and you shot stuff or you <laughs> you, you know like you you didn't really have like like uh sorry you were i cut you off there no no that's that's right no i think you're exactly right that more units in the Stormcast list, which is a, the biggest roster in the game, are relevant now. Um, not all of them. There are still some outliers that are not that useful, but more of them are relevant and useful and have a home. So when we do get some more specific you know, techie pieces like this or tools like this, for the most part, they actually do seem to serve a purpose. It's not like we threw an ability on there just to pad out the War Scroll. It's like, no, I could see a reason why, I mean, a Lord Exorcist is kind of expensive at 170, but if you know there's a bunch of people in your local meta or in in your broader regional meta who do play armies that tend to resurrect or or do a grindy approach, it might be worthwhile to have a model that just shuts that down. And And do they want to take their time to kill that over the other stuff in your army? Man, it's Icarid all over again. When I was playing Icarid at a local meta, like we started seeing people just eight like put eight counter pieces in their main deck, knowing mm. that I was just gonna bring Icarid that weekend for like our, our like local tournament. Like it was it was so brutal. Uh, so hate pieces or counter counter pieces, like eight cards in the main deck <laughs> only dedicated to hating on my deck. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna show up to every tournament, and everyone's gonna have one of these stupid knights just rolling around like hand of dust, whatever. <laughs> and and that's a hand of dust you're you're not casting on something else i'm kidding um, i'm just going to kill it with murder ponies and then i'm going to hand a duster star drake it's it's fine everybody maybe maybe <laughs> it does stop rally uh, the nine inch one stops rally rally can't be rallied within three inches anyway correct yes so only the exorcist will because sequiturs would stop that just by fighting you anyway um, and W. So, Soren, real quick, thank you so much for uh, for handing out five more gift subs. 356 gift subs in total given to the channel. Everyone who, who caught one of those subs, uh, enjoy the emotes. Very generous of Soren. The mad lad at it again. Um, yeah, so so anyway, uh, enough, uh, enough random tangents on the random tangent show. <laughs> so the Castigation Station is an entire list built around trying to deal with death armies. Is it good at it? Probably not. You can probably do a much more straightforward list that does that. But will it annoy death players specifically? Yes, it will. (laughs) And here's how. So first, we have our Exorcist and our Sequiturs, who have the Redemption Cache, which prevents Resurrections. 
Um, now, this is a um, Scions of the Storm army. In fact, I think all the ones we're talking about here. With Stormcast now, you choose when you build your list. Are you a Scions of the Storm army or are you a Stormkeep army? Yeah, it's it's Coalesced versus uh, the non-Coalesced. What was uh, Starborn? Starborn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting design space when when Seraphon came out. I went on record saying uh, I was a big fan then. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan for Stormcast. Like use sparingly for armies that make sense for Stormcast is one of the armies. I think just just a wide range of stuff. Skaven, I could see something like that making sense for them if their clans went a little bit more that route than like just sort of like a grab bag of keyword bingo. Like, oh, you, you're you either this to begin... I don't know. I don't know. It might make sense. Speaking of like toolbox armies that that still have some useless models in them. Skaven. Like... <laughs> but, um, yeah, for sure. There, the, I think, like you said, sparingly we can see this work. And I think the idea of that... The Stormkeep army that has the Cities of Sigmar auxiliaries, it captures the feel of both how we see Stormcast now, and I think it captured a lot of people's attention for, you know, how much they loved being able to incorporate some Stormcast models into their Cities army. Well, now you can switch that back. If you want more of that primary Stormcast with some Cities added, you can do Stormkeep. Uh, We're not talking about Stormkeep here, but if you like models that sit on objectives and don't die and prevent anyone from ever taking that objective, including massive giants, Stormkeep is is your jam. Hmm. But here we're in Science of the Storm because we want to be able to drop in on those stupid death support pieces wherever they're hiding and murder them with extreme prejudice again. Disgusting. (laughs) Which is why we have a Lord Imperiton who lets a unit coming in with Science of the Storm drop seven inches away instead of nine inches away from the enemy. You know, we have... uh, Sorry, finish your point. And we have two units of Annihilators with Grand Hammers. Meteoric Grand Hammers. Yes. These are the new Annihilators. They trade the shield for a bigger hammer with more rend and more damage. But their save is slightly worse. Seems all right. Um... I heard people really complaining about the shield thing too. By the way, <laughs> about the uh, them being on a two up. Yeah, yeah. So they, it is annoying. Um, any model that just sits at a two up is really strong, but because for annihilators you're generally chucking them into the enemy line, they're often getting all of the enemy's army attention focused on them. So that two up doesn't doesn't save you when you're facing you know 1700 right. points of enemy army right and you're you're the elite of the elite at 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 the three uh, the three or six right like uh yeah bracket of models so um which comes in handy here because we're knights excelsior so knights excelsior make all paladin units which includes annihilators and the decimators in our list makes them battle line on top of that Knight's Excelsior has a special ability that if you get to pick a Paladin unit once per turn, I believe it's in the combat phase at the start of the combat, and if they're outnumbered, they get plus one to hit and wound against the unit they're outnumbered by. Yeah. No, this is a cool design space too, right? Uh, for On elite. top of... Yeah, and on top of that, there's a special Stormcast command ability you can take once per game to further buff Paladins and give them plus one attack. Now, so, now we have the good buffs. These are the types of buffs I want to see on stuff. Not re-rolling once to wound. Get that out of here. I mean, it's fine. Right. Yeah. It's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, it's yeah. When you, when you've got your 180 gores, and well, what do you get for having so many gores? We get to reroll ones, and we hit on fours. Hooray. It's not bad, but it's better than nothing. We'll give them that. Rend is you know useful though, and well, kind of. <laughs> rend is useful, which is why most of the things in this army are at least rend two. All right. The annihilators with grand hammers, rend two. The castigators, rend two. The decimators, rend two. Even the sequiturs got rend now. They're all rend one. Yeah. So why decimators? Why do we have decimators in that list? Well, you know those pain in the ass towards that we talked about? You know, your big blocks of zombies and uh, grave guard and what have you? Decimators get five attacks apiece. And if they're outnumbered, they get an extra two attacks apiece. So you chuck five decimators into that big unit of zombies, and they're outnumbered now. So now they're hitting on twos and twos. Uh, maybe we chuck our extra command ability on them to give them an extra attack. Now they're eight attacks apiece, twos and twos, ren two, damage one. Because most of those hordes only have one wound apiece. Yeah, and zombies are, don't even have a save anyway. <laughs> right, yeah, no, against zombies it's... Like, do you hit... But just... we need... <laughs> we need to wait... Yeah. yeah, no, these guys just, they just mow down zombies. They're they are there for for that. Or actually, Black Knights, it would reduce them to not having a save too, right? Aren't they a five up now? Yeah, they, they mess with their shield bonus too. It's just weird. We, we don't talk about Black Knights. It's still too soon for me. <laughs> it's like a guy who like spent two years telling people Black Knights were actually like secret, like low tech good. And then... Yeah. That's all right. Some... Sometimes sometimes you're the guy who keeps telling people things are good and then they get better. And sometimes you're the guy who tells everyone to buy them and then they are not so good. Yeah, I I mean, for the time I was right. And by the time that, like, I'd already moved my attention onto Osiak Bone Reaper. So I don't think I debated anyone to buying bad Black Knights. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I mean, they came in the starter box for... So I feel like everyone who started any kind of death army just had five or ten Black Knights knocking around anyway. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, th that's the thing, is, like, um, you accidentally end up with Black Knights when you play a Death Army. Like, you just have them. <laughs> they, they, It's like Cygors and Beasts of Chaos. They just give you a bonus Cygor <laughs> right. every time you buy, like, Beasts of Chaos. They're like, yeah, you gotta have, some, have a Cygor. Every Beasts of Chaos player out there just has, like, six Cygors they can't use. <laughs> I remember when I was considering Beasts of Chaos, when their book came out, I was like, oh, the starter box is a good deal. Even if you don't use the Cygor, you can just sell it on eBay. But that requires someone out there to be buying Cygors. Yeah, yeah, and we all have them already. <laughs> right. So I'm glad I never went that route to try to churn Cygors for money. Yeah. Bray. <laughs> G GM Kenny, another, another, another uh, 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 BOC player. Still have a fondness for that army. Oh, Go ahead. Um, I don't know. Beasts of Chaos don't have any real regeneration either. No, Sorry, I no, I, I find oh. it very ironic, hypocritical even, that Stormcast Eternals, who insist upon resurrecting themselves, uh, think that other people can't resurrect themselves. Like, why do they want to control the means of resurrection? Seems a little, uh, seems a little, uh, you know, oligarchical to me. A little, uh, see, Nagash wants resurrection for the common zombie and or skeleton. 
Listen, this is this is not this is not our necro communist debate. All right, that's for another time. Yeah, we'll do the necro. We'll talk about necro communism another time. <laughs> another time. I swear, if, if I if if Je- if uh, if Lewis Black comes after me to change my name, and I had it first, Lewis Black, I love you, buddy. Like you're you're the best. If because but his podcast is called Rantcast, right? And uh, if he oh, comes after it, me to change it, it's it's just becoming uh, necro social the necro socialism podcast. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the necro socialist commune. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> like, fantastic um so sorry casket i keep distracting you because i don't want people to know about your tech to destroy my beloved death is really what i'm doing no 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 we're we're on the opposite side we're not on the side of the we're definitely on the side of the reactionaries we're serving the god king here so we're definitely not helping out the necro-socialist commune with this list (laughs) so this list is designed to take down a few of the major things that death armies are good at they're good at hordes so we have ways, and they're good at regenerating hordes. So we have anti-horde units, and we have ways to prevent regeneration. Um, they're good at flooding the board, at, at board presence. So we have the ability to teleport onto the field and to do that closer than they'd expect. And they tend to rely a lot on their hero models and even on their monster models to really facilitate their army. So we have multiple different units that specialize in doing a lot of good damage to one target, namely our Annihilators with their Grand Hammers and the Castigators. Because the Castigators now, instead of getting one shot apiece, they get D3 shots. And all of those shots can be Ren 2. And it's an 18-inch range, so you can drop them anywhere on the field and they'll be able to touch a target pretty well. They're relatively cheap for their price. They're only 105 points for three of them. So that's seven Ren 2 shots on average. And and remember, the whole point of this list is to be dicks to death players. Those castigators, if they're targeting demons, so we can be dicks to chaos as well. Demons or malignants, which are all Nighthaunt models, sixes to hit is an extra hit. Nighthaunt did nothing wrong. They did nothing to deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even this resurrect is what... quite as good as the rest of death. Why? <laughs> I I don't want to hear it with right with that Reikoner's BS where they're restoring like D six plus three chain rasps to a model or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Reikoner's always kind of been like low key, like great tech for that army. People thought he was a little too expensive, but it's it, chat gang. I'm gonna need you to come in real close here. When you have role playing power in an army, in something that really needs that role or that role that it does is really unique or a really good force multiplier. It's good. That's why Black Knights were good before, because when death was super slow, like, having something to tar pit and set the point of attack while your great blades caught up, or whatever would have you, was very useful. Like, um, you know, so, so like, Rykonor, as a reliable caster, when he needs to be, and a resurrection engine and a teleporter, like, very good for what he was, what he was bringing to that army, and he's yeah, but I digress. And Nighthawk's getting a new book. We all know it, right? Like new book, some new models. Apparently, they're getting a death boat. Let's go. All of, uh, <laughs> a time to dust off the uh, party boat meme from Mass Effect Two and make it death boat instead. <laughs> I can't wait. All aboard the party boat. <laughs> it could. I mean, Wraith Fleet has been a thing longer than even the current Nighthawk. I so. thought we were getting Wraith Fleet when we got Soulblight Gravelords. What if I was Delay Blast Fireball correct? 
Could be. It, right? Just on a delay this whole time. Yeah. No, I was – see, on a long enough timeline, I'm always right. That's that's what people need to learn from Mephisto. Um, so Castigators, pop, you're gonna drop and pop. You can take out like the, uh, you can take out that like uh, 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 vampire on foot, which is a really solid tech piece for our army. Necromancers mm -hmm. are pretty solid, but like they're gonna be bouncing wounds, albeit not as well as before, right? So you've got mm -hmm. some some options for bringing down a necro uh, who's hiding behind sixty zombies or whatever. Belladama, um, uh, mm -hmm. one of the best tech pieces we have. Like she's. Just what a 200-point wizard should look like. Um, you're also shutting off her wolf powers. Well, no, she summons wolves, too. You, do, you don't yeah. shut off summoning, correct? The language? Correct. Uh, the If I remember right, the language of the Redemption Cache is that you cannot restore slain models to a unit. So th that is within range of the cache. So, like, horrors, they specifically say the models are not slain. Um, or other things might set up new models. Those are not prevented by the redemption cache. It's only things that return slain models. Right, right, right. So, uh, but the nice thing about the castigators uh, too is that you can use them to pick out the pieces that you don't want to commit your more expensive annihilators to. Your annihilators are there to hunt stuff like Nagash or Manfred's not a great example because he probably teleports away instead of fighting them. Um, but Nagash, Neferata, well, you're, you're going to try to you're going you're going to try to shoot shoot Manfred with with castigators basically if if you're right. going to target him at all. Depends right on, depends yeah. on the tape. It depends on how the game's playing out, right? For sure, target priority isn't and, necessarily stagnant. Continue. Yeah, and the castigators you can also use. You know, say you drop the exorcist in, because um, when those annihilators come down, they're dealing mortal wounds when they drop, and so they might create gaps in units that might try to then regenerate. You know, healing comfortably in the back line near their gravesite. You can drop the exorcist in, and now he can run into that gap and make that a lot harder for them. Right. Um, and your imperative's going to hide in the backfield anyway. But you know, if a v lost or something big and scary comes to get him he gets to reroll his saves on anything that does more than two more than one point of damage so he's a little bit harder to to take down than you might expect and sequiturs are a tough battle line they've got their five up ward in the combat phase and death for the most part only fights in the combat phase so this list has a bunch of different ways to deal with the common threats that a death army brings but also it's just meant to make a death player go you son of a bitch. No, oh, oh, like I use this power only to annoy, right? Like the you're just right. like like the the meme. Uh Chris CB dropping a thousand RDP to remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to mess with. And uh, good to be catching the stream live uh for the first time in a while. Hope everyone is well. Um I'm I'm not bad. I've 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 been pretty open honest that I've been in a uh, kind of a bad place in just in terms of blog going on. It's just a lot of a lot of work, a lot of personal stuff. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna trauma dump on anyone here, but but I'm all right. I'm I think I'm on the upswing now. I think we're I'm gonna get through it. I'm trying to realign my perspective to to just know that it's another day and tomorrow will be another one and so on and so forth until uh until I'm through this this current fog. So so uh like I said checking I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I find sometimes is really helpful when when you're feeling kind of foggy or when you're feeling kind of down or when life is feeling kind of blah? Yeah. Is to just go on an excursion with a bunch of your friends. Like, uh, like say, I mean, I personally wouldn't go on a hunting party, but if you were 
a certain storm cast of a certain persuasion, maybe you'd get a bunch of friends together and go on a hunting party. So there's the, what a segue. Look at that professional segue. Y'all, if you want, I can take the night off and Alex can just do the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this, this next, uh, this final list is called hunting party. Um, Uh, It is. And, and specifically it is Sir Reginald Armsby Bellingham's hunting party. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, so we've got Allegiant Stormcast Eternals, Storm, uh, Stormhost mm-hmm. Celestial Warbringers. Not to be confused with other celestially named warhosts. We are the we are the Warbringers. We are the smart Stormhost. You know, I like not that. Not to be confused with the the Vindicators, the Rubes, just <laughs> charging into combat headlong as if combat is the way to solve things. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're cultured. We're classy here. All right, so you want to take... That's why. Go ahead. No, 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 Carrie. Uh, you want to take me through the conceit of the list here, then? Like, uh, we got a hunting party. I feel like we're. I'm about to have a story told to me. You've got all these characters named, like... Uh... Yes, well, so, first of all, Sir Reginald is 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 fancy. I mean, he's he's a sir. So he has to bring with him his most favored retainers and their faithful hunting hounds. So we have... Our hunt master, Sir Reginald, with Indy and Admiral. Uh, Indy is my own dog, uh, a miniature schnauzer. And Admiral is the miniature schnauzer who inspired us to get our own. So, of course, Sir Reginald's schnauzer hunting hounds, uh, griff schnauzers, are Indy and Admiral. Griff schnauzers. <laughs> griff schnauzers. Uh, now, him, like his many assistants here, he is a knight judicator. So he comes with two griff hounds. Uh, he has the skilled leader command trait, which is a generic one, just gives you a five up to get an extra command point, which we might need for different things. But Sir Reginald does not believe in hunting accidents. All right. We need to be very careful when we go on a hunt. Got to be safe. That's Take why your hunter he has... safety's courses, everybody. Um... Exactly. Wear, wear your vest, wear your mirror shield. So that way, no friendly fire incidents on the hunting range. Right. right. You don't want to get Dick Cheney'd. Uh, exactly. You definitely don't. Um, so mirror shield makes it so that he cannot be shot. He cannot be targeted with a missile attack unless you are within nine inches of him. So Sir Reginald is sitting comfortably in the back line, trying to get that perfect shot on the quarry. He's accompanied by his hunts marshal, a knight judicator with uh, fellow griff griff pups, Leo and Eleanor. Uh, the hunts marshal is a bit of a non-traditional type. Uh, we've given him the arcane tome, and he has lightning blast, which is literally pick the nearest enemy unit on the field. They take these three mortal boots. So since he's already sitting at the back of the field anyway, why bother with ranges? Just deal mortal wounds for free every turn. Why not? What are they going to do? Unbind it? You're already 30 inches away. <laughs> we have our hunt swain with King and Simka, because every hunt needs a hunt swain. Um, as well as a Hunt's Caller with Zelda and Nessie. And finally, our Hunt's Porter with Biscuit and Rico, because someone has to carry around all the great bows. It's certainly not going to be Sir Reginald. <laughs> and lastly, like any good hunt, we need a herald. And so we have a Knight Heralder, our Hunt's Herald. Someone to be like, and now the Royal Hunt, you know, like for his celestial lord, Sir yeah, Reginald. Abs- 
And the horn is so loud, it drives Quarry out into the open because they, they like their little hidey holes and we need to keep them yeah, away from them. Like you literally do a, a terrain piece and they come running out. <laughs> do, bang, and they're just like, like carries some, around a Vuvuzela. <laughs> yes, armed with the mighty celestial Vuvuzela. And then he drives out goats and cloaks into the field where we promptly shoot them with arrows the size of BMWs. Now... Sir Reginald is accompanied by many people who would like to join the hunt, but they're they're junior huntsmen or junior huntswomen. They're not they're not quite ready, but they're pretty darn good. So we have three units of five Vigilors, who are a new Stormcast unit. They have an 18-inch shooting attack. Um, they're pretty decent in melee. Pretty much all of their profiles are threes and threes, Ren one, damage one. But if a Vigilor allocates a wound to a unit, all other units shooting that target get plus one to hit. Does this have and... a ceiling? What was that? Does it have a ceiling, or can you? Well, yeah, you can only stack a plus one to hit, right? Like no. Right, you can only you can only go up to the max. Uh, let's see. In the shooting phase, if any wounds are caused, if any wounds caused by attacks made with these bows are allocated to an enemy unit, add one to hit rolls for attacks that target that unit until the end of the turn. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you shoot them, you still get that plus one in the combat phase. Right. Nice. Um, but the same unit cannot be affected by that ability more than once per turn. Yeah, no, legit. All right. Um, so. Go ahead. Vigilors drop down on the field because we're a scions of the storm army. We don't necessarily need to have them on the field because we got all of our faithful griffhounds to form a screen, uh, a hunting screen. Vigilors drop down, shoot your key target, between the, you know, there's two attacks apiece, so we've got 30 shots. One of those should hit. And then all of our our, our lovely hunters get 10 attacks, twos and twos, rend three, damage three against that target. <laughs> and if you want, you just spread your shots out to get those plus ones wherever you need them. You know, with 30 attacks, you can probably get you know, at least a couple of different units to get that plus one on. That is a lot of Ren 3 shooting. Sir Reginald is very good at making sure that his quarry is dead. <laughs> now, granted, his front line has four up saves or no saves, but, you know, we got him for free. Why not? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, Lastly, yep, go on. no hunt would be complete without... Our faithful hunting hawks. We've got some ether wings in there because sometimes, you know, you, you need a bird's eye view on things. And the Vanguard Paladors are, again, uh, <laughs> the upstarts hunting with guns. They've got guns. Who uses guns? Bows are for hunting. But sometimes you, you know, you make a big enough hole and you just want to teleport some big griff birds onto it. So the Vanguard Paladors are there that as you're shooting things out and creating gaps... They can literally just teleport onto an objective anywhere on the field in their movement phase. Um, they might even be able to do it in combat. If they don't want to be there, they just teleport somewhere else. Not bad. And then they also get to shoot because <laughs> melee combat. <laughs> just melee combat. <laughs> just melee. Fantastic. This so is... yeah, that's, Sir, that's Sir Reginald Armsby Bellingham's hunting party. Um, I actually think Night Judicators might be genuinely good, but I don't know if five of them is, is good. 
this this list does not hold up to you know two more crushes charging it but you know at least they got some shooting done first no i, I was gonna say that like the uh i was gonna give so you gave us some tech with your ca castigation station we've got this fun hunting party list uh, i just wanted to let my death friends know uh that the castigation station counter strategy just just play castellite dynasty 30 blood knights <laughs> make it happen uh, I just found out that it's a, that it is good after all. It went four and one and won like a best death, I believe, at a, at a two dayer. So it's good actually. Play it. It's fine. You don't. He can't <laughs> horde break you if you don't have hordes to break because you just have thirty. That is, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. If you don't bring hordes, then those decimators are just throwing damage one attacks at you. <laughs> Might still cave in some blood knight skulls and some annihilators though. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Every one of those hammers that gets through is a dead blood knight. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is this is this is our Stormcast edition silly lists. We got some fun janky tech in our Star Drakes. Um, we got some anti-death options for a very targeted lists in our castigation station. And if you just wanted to go to the nth degree on shooting, you could always take a hunting party. And I mean, Dunning Bard is pretty good. I mean, it's something like 60 damage from shooting that you could do in a turn if you really tried. It's enough to pull down a giant, a mega, right? Because you gotta, you gotta. At least one. You gotta figure. Th you need. Well, no, you need 70 damage to pull down a. To pull down a, a 30. No, it's not even 35. It's something. I forget my math. I don't feel like mathing right now. I'll do it later. <laughs> yeah. I think it's thir 35 wounds to Omega. So if you do pretty decently on the shooting, you'll bring one down. I don't know if you'll survive getting smacked by the rest of them, but you'll bring down one. There you go. There you go. That's... And really, that's all you need. Right. Right. All right. Um, see, man, Zach, uh, still broken up about LON being no more and losing a, a pure soup death army. I mean, Grand Alliance death. That's 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 how you soup now, right? Um, <laughs> that's the... Um, I know, I know. You want more identity than Grand Alliance. I I get it. Uh, Borrow Kings, right? Um, so can I, you can ahead. you still Grand Alliance anymore? I asked that question early on in 3.0. I got an answer. Yes, I just trusted the answer. I haven't looked it up since. Uh, mm. I, I must admit, a lot of my brain capacity has been going to main maintaining like a couple of like my niche things that I like and care about and. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll have time to become a rules lawyer again before too long. <laughs> it's all right. I'll, uh, I got to get brushed up for Adepticon. I got, I got to sharpen up. Uh, so, well, go ahead. You can always implement your uh, Pragamus Q Nose attorney at law segment. Have Brendan on and give him a tie and be like, Brendan, you're just going to answer all of our rules lawyers' questions for two hours. We it may be. not be Gabe's workshop, but it's as close as we're going to get in the Midwest. Yeah, all right to me. Yeah, I think that's a pretty great idea. We, he's got a whole a whole like bit he wants to do with like the uh, Warhammer attorneys at law, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I want to. There's a what's his name like something Texas Lawhawk. Like there's a fucking guy. He really does it. It's not a bit. Like it's there has actual commercials, and there's the. It, it's like something from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Did I miss the Night Quester? Uh, uh, I I did not include a Night Quester in any of these lists. Sorry, Hades. <laughs> if you'd like, I can I can try to think of something with the Night Quester, but 
it's probably not going to be anything all that interesting. Okay. I'm sorry. Right on, right on. Um, of course, it's we've... more use. It's more useful than the Knight Relictor. How about that? I see. I I do like the Knight Relictor uh, sculpt though, because it's got the like huge like sarcophagus. Maybe it's not That's... a sarcophagus. I think may it might actually be a banner, but I've only ever seen someone with like a huge coffin on it, like. The the Lord Relictor is the Sorry. original one Sorry. that we had that has the like he's carrying That's around right. a dead guy. Like his he's litter, his yeah, litter, okay. yeah. That's right. The yeah. Lord Relictor is amazing and is is probably I don't know if it's an auto include, maybe not in every list, but a lot of lists benefit from one. The Knight Relictor is a new model that is useless. Utterly useless. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I forgot all my random gibberish names for Stormcast again. <laughs> oh no, it's, it is fine. Also, so do Stormcast. Believe me, they forgot him the moment they read their War Scroll. They are probably doing the soon the so thing. <laughs> nah, Knight Relictor is a priest, so he is immediately more useful. Yeah, no. See, I I can't. I I've told this story before. Uh, when I when I was learning Age of Sigmar, like Heo was teaching me, I was playing on his Stormcast army. Uh, like he was, mm -hmm. as I was collecting death and stuff, right? I could never remember Stormcast models' names or or anything. Oh, it's yeah. just it's <laughs> just like I know what a like a skeleton warrior is. Yeah, I know what a blood knight is. Like you can you can go through most people's armies and be like, that's a Soros guard, and I'm like, yep, that's a Soros guard. Like yeah. I, mm -hmm. you know, I I get it. It's there's something about like the the pseudo Latin names. And there's oh, so yeah. many of them with Stormcast Eternals. I just like in one ear out the other. It never even it never like even attempts to gain traction in my mind. Yeah, it's they they have so many different units with all of these janky names, and a lot of them are borrowed or also used in 40k. So it's very easy to just hear tangential 40k stuff, hear the same words. It all gets jumbled up. Yeah, no, it's unless you're actually playing with them, nobody keeps track. See, I heard Relictor, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy with the huge cough. I, I didn't even, like, it was like that Relictor, and all I, like, oh yeah, the one with the huge, cool, like, like death thing. <laughs> and, and you're not wrong. The Lord Relictor is that guy and is still incredibly useful. The new Knight Relictor, less so. It's not just the names, it's the aesthetic. Do you mean the Hammer Guys, or the other Hammer Guys, or the other Hammer Guys? Yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna bag on Stormcast Eternal. I actually I mm. as far as like a banner as a Ryu, like of their setting, like every game needs a like a Ryu. Like in Street Fighter you got mm. you know your Ryu, like um every game needs one of those. Like some sort of fulcrum or baseline point. Some of the dispute with Stormcast Eternals is like as the poster child, have they been a fulcrum, have they been a en good entry mm -hmm. point, and so on and so forth. Um and that may have not always aligned like in terms of mechanically, but as far as like narratively and even like a, the aesthetics, like they've really come into their own own now. As a Stormcast player and and Dark Elf player, <laughs> how do you th feel about three point Stormcast? Like, what's your what's your? We've, so we've got some wacky lists, but but what's the what's the take? What is your take? What is your expert? What is your doctoral advice? Uh, 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 <laughs> take on these. I, I have the same feeling right now about Stormcast that I did when the Doc book came out and when the Zinch book came out, um, which you can you can argue that those are very strong books. But part of what those books did really well is they made all of their different options attractive. 
you know, maybe there are 10% of the options where you can just look at them and say, yeah, no, you just don't take that one. That one's just not very good. But all of the others, even if they're not optimal, you know, there might be one or two that rise up and you say, okay, those are really strong. But the rest all seem usable and strong in their own right. And that, I think, is what we're getting from the Stormcast book. And that's what I really like about it. It's okay for any book to have its winners and losers. And, you know, there are some winners and losers in the book. But if you like prosecutors, prosecutors are decent now. If you like paladins, there's a paladin build that works pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And so to look at a book and say you can pull from any of its options and you're probably going to get a decent army out of it, I think that's a real strong point. And I think this book does a great job of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we already touched a little bit on the, like, how you you either choose to be teleporty or slightly more killy, right? Like, are the mm-hmm. the two sort of options, your coalesced versus Starborn, respectively. Um, and they reigned in, like, the actual storm hosts themselves to be more in line with sub-allegiance ability, or sub-allegiances now, right? Instead of, like, weird, restrictive list-building crap, right? It's Correct, more- yeah. They're... The, they've changed it now so that you're, you get your battle trait from a storm host, and that's it. It doesn't determine anything else about your army. And they really made each of those pretty pretty key, along with the battle line if options, to, to basically give you a clue of, this is probably how you want to play this this particular sub-faction. So if you want to use a lot of flying units, you should probably use Tempest Lords, because you really get rewarded for doing that but they're not taking away one of your artifacts or giving you some, we're not having to play the old, uh, the old roulette of which of your four options is, is the D tier one and which of your options is the A tier one. If you got one. Yeah. Um, there was always a, there was always a bad choice in any four set with the relic, the, the artifact, the command trait, the battle trait and the, and the, you know, whatever else you got, there was always a bad one in those four. wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean that's even separate from like there's always a best a, a best selection right there is always like you just get used to like there being one that was like it was punishing you so hard it wasn't worth taking right like the ivory mm-hmm. host you're just like ugh I can never play ivory host look at how much it punishes me for wanting to have this like cool wolverineum uh bone army like um or or an option that's so forgettable, you just you assign it to a hero, and then you literally just don't ever use it. <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of the old Stormcast artifacts are like that. It's like, oh, on a six to hit, you deal one extra damage. It's like, it's not worth the brain power for me to actually track this item, because I'll never put it on anything that benefits from it. Right. So I think it was good that we stripped all of that out, and instead you get one thing that's generally flavorful and generally impactful. Um, and, you know... You, and if you see seven out of eight storm hosts did a good job, sorry, Anvils, you, you didn't luck out this time, then then that's pretty good, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a big book, right? This is this is the most War Scrolls in a single book, uh, right? Even more than I think uh, a Cities of Sigmar, right? Like it's I think someone did the math. I, maybe I'm wrong. It might be close to Cities of Sigmar. And you look at like again, Skaven was a good army. You know, like for its time, and it it right now it continues to I think be like a, a good army in terms of competitive tuning potential. There's a lot mm-hmm. of dead war scrolls in the Skaven book. You know, Legions of Nagash had that problem too, where like it was a competitively speaking, you'd see it win four and one five O's, right? It, it would win tournaments, but the volume of bad war scrolls in that book was well over fifty percent in terms of, pardon me, in terms of LON. Um, 
you're not at that mark with this Stormcast Eternals book. Like, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot. The majority percentage comes out good versus mm. bad for such a robust book, and I think that's, I, I mean, I think that's kind of a win. I think they had a daunting task to do with 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 this book, and they kind of, uh, they they tackled it head on. You know, I. Um. That's my cursory read. Maybe like as I read more and more, I just get angry and I start throwing it around the, my my office. But like for now, it's like I'm like you know the skim my first skim through. I'm like okay, yeah, dope. Um, yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think even if you even if you look at certain builds, like I'm still trying to figure out which which of the shooting units are probably the the most effective or best to to bring in an army. You know, which one's probably the best if you want to add just a shooting unit. Which one's better if you want to build around it. And while I'm sure that some of them are probably more optimal, if you have an ordinator and four uh, four ballistas and you want to try that, it's still supported in the army and you can do it. And it's not bad by any means. Is that the best? I, I don't know. I, but is it? But it's not obviously bad. And and there is enough synergy and enough straightforward synergy that I think you can try those things and and figure out will this work for me. Or if that's what you want to do, you can plug it in and say, okay, there it is. It's going to do something. It's not just dead weight in my list because I like the model. Th this comes to one of my like my main tenets is players just want an excuse. Like, mm. just give me an excuse, right? Like, you know, like I want to play with some of my like less optimal units. Like I want to. You just got to give me an excuse by like some pet synergy or or like it's cool in a like a different sweeter more interesting way like just give me an excuse like i want to play with stalkers right now just let me you know uh you know i want to run 30 blood knights let me you know like that sort of like give me an excuse to do the thing that doesn't that's not the most obvious that's not the most optimal and i think that sure. that's most players perspectives you know uh, and and i think something that helps with that and some people I'm sure will be disappointed at some of the loss of some of the more kind of like unique or, or, or we might say flavorful components um, like decimators, the paladins with axes. I think they used to have the rule where you check to see how many models are within three inches of them. And then that adds to your attacks. But I think it's to get you to that place where you can just plug and play more things. They sort of, um, created these sort of common profiles for different things and just said these units are alike so now you have a similar profile and we're going to take that that unique thing away from you but it's something that's kind of weird and it might detract from you using it or maybe it works sometimes but not others we're just going to kind of make a profile that captures some of that and everything that's similar gets it which is a way that they kind of unify it that's why stormcast can have like three things with axes, but those axes all pretty much do the same thing. Right. No, I mean it's 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 good it's good at lowering the mental bandwidth. If you know generally mm. speaking, I'm hitting on threes, threes, rend one, damage one, you only have to remember the exceptions. Right. Right. As opposed to have to remember a hundred different profiles where like every single unit's a little bit different. Well this one's this one's threes and twos with rend one damage D three and this one's th twos and threes and you know like that kind of like it's just a kind of a nightmare. Um, it, it gets, right. it, or, it, or, or, you know, oh, I have retributors who are paladins with hammers, and then I have concussors who are Dracothian guard with hammers. But retributors have a different special rule for when their hammers hit hard than Dracothian guard who, who hit hard with their hammers, even though they're the same hammers and they're more or less the same guys doing it. Yeah. And now it's like, 
they have hammers. When they hit the thing hard, the same thing happens because that's what happens when you hit someone hard with a Stormcast hammer. Yeah, it's great. It's perfect. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, well, I wouldn't say perfect, but it's good. And we won't let, you know, perfect be the enemy of good, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, I, I think it's it's a design space that I'm in favor of generally. I like the idea of, you know, let's instead of having these weird, unique interactions for everything, which once once you have 90 War Scrolls, that's so hard to stay on top of and, and really balance, you know, make some commonalities, some common themes and threads. And then if you're going to add some flavor or you're going to add some uniqueness to it, I think maybe doing it on the, the broader layers like the storm host that you're in or which version of a Stormcast armor you are, maybe makes it a little bit easier for the players to see it and have that trickle down. Rather than, I'm going to take this unit that has this really weird, funky rule, so now how do I try to build a whole army around it in order to make that work? Right, right. No, I, I, um, I'm always curious the people who actually play the army's perspective over just like all the talking heads you know mm. um i i have my judgment on on things that you know like what i think of zinch i don't think matters quite as much as like what you think is zinch not not that like every opinion is valid but i'm always a little bit more curious and try to defer to the people who play the thing i didn't pay money for it you know what i think about it i'm not invested it's easy for me sure. to have an opinion it's a lot harder like i want people who have their army to feel good about playing their toys is really all it comes down to, you know, um, my, you know, like I, again, like, I don't want to have like an elitism bias here. Like there's a, or an elitism fallacy here where like, Oh, it only mm. matters if you're an expert on it. Like that's, that's not the take, but, but having that like perspective from people who play the army is very important to me in kind of getting a holistic view of, of how I ultimately feel about something. Um, for know, sure. So, to go on a to go on a, a brief positive psychology tangent, um, we have a number of character strengths that we've identified. Well, we can, we can full on segue right now. I just gave we, us a segue. Like if, if we we, <laughs> we absolutely can. I'm I'm going to segue to a tangent, and then maybe we'll segue to the actual. Other oh yeah, the, the Inception <laughs> segue Inception. Um, there are a number of different character traits that we've identified that that seem to be pretty stable. Character strengths, I should say. These are these are positive traits. And while you can under or overuse them and then they become a little bit tricky, generally speaking, they're positive things. And what you're describing here is the strength that we call perspective or wisdom, which is recognizing the value of your own experience and when to apply it and when not to apply it. This has and a technical term. <laughs> like this, this is. And, and this is the sister strength to judgment, which is more about analysis of data, critical analysis of data. Okay. So saying, okay, I know this person plays this army. I'm going to give their opinion a little bit more weight because they have experience to back it up. That's showing some of that aspect of, of wisdom, that you're recognizing what are the limits of my experience? Where does my experience apply and help? Where does your experience apply and help? So, okay, you, you maybe have a little bit more perspective on this than I do. But if you balance that with the strength of judgment, judgment's all about evaluating data, but also recognizing whether it's coming from a good source. Mm -hmm. So a, a person who's strong in, in perspective recognizes, okay, you've got experience here. That experience is valuable. A person who's also strong in judgment says, but are you telling me this in good faith? And are you a source that's reliable? Someone who plays tons and tons and tons of games with Darkling Covens 
might have a certain opinion of how Darkling Covens does and of how good Darkling Covens is on the table. But maybe they're not the best person to actually give you a, a favorable, balanced view of whether Darkling Covens is a competitive army. Right. I mean, and there's always like, a, we're, I mean, we're all kind of like grappling with various biases, right? And uh, you, you got to take into, we have this, broadly speaking, hu like humanity speaking, I think we have a problem with thinking we're more objective and honestly valuing objectivity in a weird mm. way. Like, I, I see this all the time with, like, history, especially. Like, people think that, like, history is an objective truth. They, like, it's a hard science. Like, history has happened. This is what happened. And mm -hmm. it's like, and, like history, is, history is distilled. Like, it's regurgitated from subjective points of view of people from the time period. And then once more distilled from a subjective perspective with delusions of objectivity down toward you. Like... It's this, you know, we're all dealing with implicit biases or, or subjectivity at all times. And you got to be honest that you are, or you're not going to get a more holistic analysis of, like, what it is you're trying to, like, take into account. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, real quick here, we got some checking, uh, uh, chiming in here. Uh, how about Scions? Half Vanguard, half Old Cast. Vanguard start on the table, Old Cast drop in and clap. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what i was just replying to just now it's it's a very interesting idea for a list and it, it would work decently the vanguard part of the army has lots of mobility that pretty much every vanguard unit except for the raptors just teleports it just has a teleport baked into it and all of the older stormcasts especially the paladins and the judicators work really well um liberators not so great so i, I might invest in something other than liberators but I mean, that's not a half bad basis for an army. And you probably, if you've been playing Stormcast, have all that laying around. What's really interesting is I, I, there's like a, a weird sort of like, I, I think that's a, a little bit of a pr proof of premise. Mm. Because you were just talking like, you know, what you got laying around, having a concept, and then like going, can I make this work with this book? And the answer was like, mostly, yeah. Like, I guess Liberators, you know, siphon those out. But like, a mostly yeah or 90% of it does kind of work with the premise you're trying to deliver the the thing you're trying to do with this this army it almost doesn't get to be a better proof of premise than Hades random like a <laughs> uh, uh, thought experiment here um yeah for sure um yeah so and we're not going to get into darkling covens we're not going to talk dark elves right now um ha having your your best damage output come from ren 1 is not uh, not a great place to be right now in the current edition uh, but you, you do have tricks. You can sh you can uh, shut off armor, right? Like you you've got a trick. Um, uh, yeah. If you if you go Anvil Guard or Harkiron, yes, you do have a hard to cast spell that can turn off armor. It I wouldn't bet on it. Requires a lot though. of things to go I, right. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it though. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, while we're on this tangent within a tangent, um, mm -hmm. what do you, you think of the whispers of like Umbraneth? Because you're a dark, you you are a Darkling Covens player. Um, I don't know if you want to reset your just like a the abridged version of like your experience with Darkling Covens. How much you, uh, is it old world related? Did you jump into AOS and like just have a bad idea? Like like real quick reset that and then give us your opinion on Umbraneth and and these whispers we keep hearing. For sure. So when I uh, when I was introduced to Age of Sigmar was uh, by one of my friends, Christian. You know our our lovely Australian expat in the, the Midwest here, the who... ambassador. Uh, for Age of Sigmar. The ambassador. Yeah, like Oh, the. for sure. Like, if aliens come down, like, the monsters show up, and they want to challenge Earth, like, for its sovereignty in a game of Warhammer, 
Christian, where's the person you get to no- negotiate that like battle? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think the aliens will even make it to the president before he's explaining to some of them of like, aren't aren't these really cool? Aren't these models great? And you know what? You can you can get these together and put them with other things, and the aliens will just be like, huh? This is, this is... Yeah, we'll we'll go to your leader in just a minute. Tell us more. Yeah. Tell me more about these rats with guns. Pathetic Earthlings, we are here to conquer and in, and uh, put you under the mighty banner of the Glock Glock Empire, and then and then uh, it's. But first, we are here to purchase several boxes of your storm vermin and or storm fiends. <laughs> like... uh, take us to your leader. Also, does Forge World offer discounts? <laughs> And that's and that's how the world ends, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Yeah. Um, but so when so when he introduced me to Age of Sigmar, I, I had a passing familiarity with Warhammer Fantasy, and I um, I liked the Dark Elves. I liked that idea of um, of their they they're coming up with the society they felt was the best chance to survive against chaos, and not realizing that in the process it was abhorrent to all other things. That they were like, yeah, we will survive the end, but literally, this is the worst version of a world to live in. Um, so I, so I appreciate that, and also how close they hewed to like Greek tragedy and myth, and how you can see all the different tragic cycles playing out, you know, over and over in in the elves. How they're so good, but their own hubris makes them fall prey to the same mistakes that that the average person does. So. Um, so when I got in, I wanted to play what what was a Dark Elf army, and the Black Guard were were my favorite part. I played uh, Warhammer Online when that was around. I played a Black Guard. I loved the aesthetic, um, and and one of my favorite bits of lore from the old world is that uh, Malekith trained them to be his his ideal of what the warriors against chaos would look like. And so one of their parts of training is that you can't assume something is dead until you've cut it into three pieces. <laughs> Because he knows that demons don't die just because you cut them in half. That that's not a guarantee against something made of of chaos stuff. <laughs> so, um, so just just that part, just well, those little like malicious jokes, even in the well, history. There's, there. there's there's a little continuity there with horrors because you're you know you're uh, you're pinks to blues to uh, and then you you drop down to uh, runics, right? To brims, yeah. To brims, yeah. He he knew. Malekith knew that wars were, were going to be a problem uh, in Age of Sigmar 3.0. <laughs> he did. He did. He, he foresaw it long before, yeah. long before it came to pass. So so when I started playing the game, I went back and forth with a few ideas. But ultimately, I, I said, okay, what faction are Blackguard in? I'm going to play them. And so that put me on the path to playing what, what was at the time Darkling Covens. Still is, but now part of Cities of Sigmar. Right. Um, so I so I started the game with them right around the time Caradron Overlords first came out. And I have gone back and forth. Played them for a while, then went into Stormcast to, to try something different, something that was felt a little bit more straightforward. Um, and uh, picked up Zinch along the way, because I was always Zinch curious. And have now finally fulfilled uh, one of my... Um, something that that I was always disappointed by uh, that I had done was when Marathi came out, when she came back into the scene with Daughters of Cain, I was so excited, but I didn't pick them up. And I always kind of regretted that. So now I also have a Daughters of Cain army. Um, so I've gone back and forth. I've, I've done Dark Elves, then I flirted with something else, then back to Dark Elves, and then flirted with something else. 
But, you, but your heart lies in your heart heart lies in darkness. Like really, <laughs> it's like it's, yeah, yeah. Um, so so Umbernath. If Umbernath comes out, are you buying a fifth army? Are you like no no? Like I'm good. Do, do you think like where where do you come down on that? You know, Umbernath was always the army. There, all of these other things have been dalliances. Umbernath is the actual real thing. And Amazing. and every year I tell myself maybe this year's the year maybe this year we get Umbraneth and every year I there's an episode somewhere in Warhammer Weekly where Vince is like no just no next year maybe maybe next year and I'm like well you'll eat those words Vince you'll eat yeah. those words yeah and then I eat I eat my words not Vince he knows what he's talking about <laughs> I th- I think Umbraneth are inevitable when who knows. Uh, it's just like with 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 chorps right now. I'm contractually obligated to say every rumor engine from now until uh, chaos dwarves or oathbreakers or whatever they're called, like uh, until they exist, until I have uh, made manifest my will, until the universe <laughs> bends to my supreme uh, uh, knowledge. But uh, no. in the meantime, uh, yeah, I got it. Like it's all chorps. Uh, but l- I do think Umbernath are inevitable. Uh, I it, it, you can't have the light without the dark, right? Right. Well, yeah, and 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 I feel like for a character who's shown up in the lore a bunch of times and has a really important piece in it, you know, Mal- uh, Malarian now was instrumental in in sealing away Slanesh. In actually, a, a really cool lore snippet we got was that. Malarian also wove the magic that allowed Sigmar and all of the forces of order to escape to Azir. So part of the reason why they were actually able to do that was because Malarian wove like the most complex illusions ever woven. So that way chaos was just totally disorganized and couldn't couldn't assault the retreat. So yeah. for a character who's done such really cool things in the lore, we really haven't heard much from him other than a bit of shadow puppetry with Marathi, which was one of the best short stories they wrote. Uh, and funnily enough, it's kind of a Mother's Day story. Too. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that even Malarian, the like god of shadow and, and this brooding creature of ultimate malice, still has to call home on Mother's Day. <laughs> there's a, there's a, that's that sort of tongue-in-cheek. Like, uh, you know, when when you take something that's like, you know, the difference between like, uh, like grim dark and like sort of like dark whimsy. This is something I've been mm-hmm. like really yeah. contemplating for a while and trying to like hammer down the, you know, talking about like just making up terms for like implements earlier on. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm trying to like make up my own sort of like lexicon of the difference between like why I like something a little bit more akin to like dark whimsy than like than pure like grim dark. And I think it comes down to like mm-hmm. compassion and like a, and humor and like almost like there's almost like a, a cynicism to Grimdark and there's a, like more of an empathy in Dark Whimsy. And there's mm-hmm. some empathy in the most evil two, like two of the most evil shadowy elf kin or whatever the heck, like just, you know, like respecting Mother's Day. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's just, <laughs> it just, it's just funny to me. Like, I don't know. It is. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, the, the story is, is I think, an interesting one. I, I like the that that interplay there. That we actually have two characters who are directly related in that way, who have been through so much. And their relationship is terrible. It's not a healthy one. But at least to some degree, there's some acknowledgement there. Like, 
they spend that entire story taunting one another like a bad episode of everybody loves raymond but in the end there's there's even a little bit of a touching moment there there's i think some a little piece of tender acknowledgement that there there is a loving bond between them it's totally warped and twisted and corrupted by everything they've been through Mm -hmm. but to some degree they do still care about each other even if just to say like i i still care about you enough that i'm going to show up and piss you off on mother's day oh man i mean i think i think the mother's day phone call ends with him losing a finger even (laughs) fantastic uh ghost ship look it's it's a chorf ghost ship all right uh it is (laughs) chaos dwarves ghost ship would be totally sweet if it was like if we were like if Soulblight Gravelords did have a wave two, and that wave two was the uh, uh, the fleet, the the Dread Fleet reference, the Wraith Fleet or whatever, yeah, it is. the Wraith Fleet uh, referenced in uh, uh, referenced in uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, fire Fire Firestorm, yeah, Firestorm. Yeah. If it's the Wraith Fleet, and like that vampire shows up, and it's got spooky ghosts for Night Hunt as well. And so it's like more vampires and spooky ghosts. And honestly, if it's just Night Haunt ghost ship, that's dope enough. Like, that vampire died and is now undead. Or he's like the one vampire that parties with Night Haunt. Whatever. It could just be, it could just be Night Haunt Wave 2. I mean, if it weren't so clearly and obviously Chorfs, okay? It's clearly like some sort of like front fin to a doom train, okay? They've inverted it and flipped it upside down, and that's like the rib cage of one of their slain enemies. Uh, orcs use bones of their enemies all the time on their stuff for decoration, and the new chorps are going to be destruction. <laughs> there. You didn't think I could get there. I freaking did. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, one thing that, I mean, I, I don't think they'll actually do this, but I do think it would be hilarious if it showed up and it was Luther Harkon, and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would it be you? And he's like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to begin with. I'm Luther Harkon. <laughs> it doesn't, sense went out the window as soon as I showed up. Wraith Fleet versus Wave 2 KO. Oh, yeah, that'd be so cool. <laughs> Oh, take my money. Do you know how many people want to play KO when they're good? All of the people. Everyone wants to play them. Uh, and I do think that would be hilarious to release a second wave of KO and put them up against the one army that gives zero shits about their shooting. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just going back to like the Zinch and the KO book. All the hot takes about, like, oh, one half of this box is great and the other half is garbage. All those hot takes. Suck it. You were, like, the, the, the answer was they both, they're both hurting us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, stop trying to decide which one is more harmful and let's just all agree that they, they're both hurting us. They're Although, as a Zinch player, I yeah. will defend that book. I do, no, no, it's I appreciate it's about that book, as strong as it was and as much as we all put up with and i put some people through change host um i love the fact that when you look at that book as a zinch player you say almost all of these give me an army idea that i think would be decent well and 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 a little to that point like when i was when every time the fever pitch raises a little bit on like an army like as a as a baba yaga like every time people get a little too like a little too invested in like wanting an army to be taken down a peg like my, my contrarian streak kicks in like not that you need me to defend a, a powerful army but people always come in with the most unreasonable takes like they want it nerfed mm. into the ground they just don't want it like they want it punished they want like lex retalionis like it was too good for too long and now it needs to be garbage <laughs> and like real humans bought models to play that army for one reason or another another their motivation uh isn't suspect like oh they wanted to win in a competitive game get out of here 
like so, well i mean who, who who doesn't to some degree enjoy winning in a competitive game right like that we can't fault them for something that is obviously what we are what everyone is kind of agreeing and signing a little little bit trying to do yeah like i mean you know we all have our like you know allegiances some of us are, are less like hardline for the, the 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 armies we tend to like to play and some people really will play whatever is good and again their prerogative they're spending their money mm. um but like the thing is like like one of the takes was like you know horrors and horrors are really really you know they sure it, everyone just wanted them to just be destroyed and i'm looking at that zinch book and i'm like if horrors get unplayable the whole good book falls apart like what other battle line options do they truly have as a as a book? And like all the the stuff that they're trying to do starts to turn off and start to break down because they're very hero intensive. They mm. want some elite stuff too that doesn't fulfill battle line requirements in various ways. Like the the whole ar the whole army starts to it's like if you over nerf both skeletons and zombies, just like right. yeah. In 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 death armies, it's just like. What the fuck am I supposed to do now? Like, like you want me to? The... Yeah, it's and so. and I I think to that for sure. You know, if you if you over tune or over nerf horrors, your other generic battle lines are Kyric acolytes who who maybe fulfill something similar. Not to get too deep into the zine. No, no, it's fine. Or Zangor, who have one of the most insufferably complex war scrolls in the game. Not and not for any real benefit. It's I I. Did a whole Path to Glory campaign doing Zine Charkonites, and I had a bunch of Zangor, and they did well because I kind of cheated and gave them Soulburn. But that's, you know, go watch the videos if you want to know more about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Pants, Pants Mafia, uh, yeah. Pants Mafia AOS channel if you want to go watch the videos. Yeah. Uh, but, but the Zangor. I'm sorry, I talked over you a little bit. Where was that? If they wanted to watch the, uh... the Pants Mafia AOS channel on YouTube, we'll have all of our Pants to Glory campaigns on there. Um, but the Zangor, I literally had a three Tupperware dice system to track how to do the the attacks for a 10-man unit of Zangor. That's not doing anyone any favors if that's your alternative to the Horror War Scroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 old uh, it's old Plague Monks all over again, right? Like you just, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, nobody wants that. I, I get, but the Zinch book is a good book. And, and that's the thing is like we mm – -hmm. Vince does a good job of, of sort of disconnecting – Perhaps too much, but he tends to try to disconnect comp competition from the design discussion of the stuff. And I'm like, and that's mm -hmm. where, like, you know, how do you feel about the new Horror War Scroll, actually? Like, as, I, as the I Zinch perspective, like, yeah. I, I'm going to admit, I haven't played Zinch in 3.0. Okay. So other people who have been getting the reps in are, are better suited to this. I think it solves the problem pretty well. Okay. I think it it sidesteps the whole issue of like how does rally interact with this? How these other things? And they just decided, look, we're going to make it simple and straightforward. We're going to make it very clear how this thing interacts by making it a different thing that doesn't interact at all. Yeah, it's like they're not slain, so don't worry about any of that slain stuff. We're mm -hmm. going to tell you exactly how it functions, and and this is how it works. And we're going to strip out some of the other stuff. Like it's not a wizard. Don't worry about it being a wizard. You know. Zinch players, I'm sure, were annoyed that they lost one of their spellcasts. Yeah, but it gives them it, but, those fate points. Yeah, but it gives you fate points anyway. The the banner, right? Like, right. You, so it's it's a good. It. I think honestly, I think it was a very intelligent change. Like, it might not be the perfect change, but it, they right. identified the correct problems and the the correct fallout from changing it too too much. Right. Like taking away the spellcasting thing, but giving you giving you you um your fate points. Like it's 
it's not like exactly a wash, but they identified by taking away a, a spellcaster from the army could have some negativity, some negative impact on on how their mechanic, their their allegiance mechanic in fate interacts throughout the rest of the army, right? So I thought that was pretty. For minor. sure, I thought that was pretty good. But agreed, and I and I like that they made the split and split again is clearly the focus of the war scroll, yeah. but they did make it so that. There is potentially a time that you would choose the petty vengeance route instead. I choose it There's... just for simplicity, anyway. Yeah, yeah you, <laughs> you you could certainly do that, but because it it functions differently in how the unit performs, if you want that unit to fulfill a certain role, actually you're better off going petty vengeance instead of splitting. Yeah, it's a more niche option. It's not one you'd pick every time, but you might actually seriously consider it now. Rather than it being a random thing you try to remember at one on the one edge case, it comes up in one game out of twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad, not bad overall. Um. So yeah. Uh. Uh. uh to reset. Uh. Umber, uh Umberneth. Uh. Like it's always been Umberneth, right? Like you're you're the astronaut yeah. meme, and when they show up, like. <laughs> Umber, Umberneth are going to fulfill a, a few parts of this. Uh, this uh, acronym we're going to look at. Added just a little bit about how to have a satisfying life. Yeah, Umbreneth are going to do a few of those for me. Yeah, right on. But so, I'm, but go ahead. I'm I, just as a a very quick bit of wish listing to round out that idea of like, what do I want from Umbreneth? Um, I want to see some uh, some bits of like grotesquerie because we've heard in in some of the lore snippets that Malarian's experiments with the elf souls that he got, the initial ones created some stuff that he hid away real fast. So I. <laughs> I think it would be cool if we did get some some violations of the, those elf ideas of like we have these great and noble beasts of dragons and and even our our bad dragons are still dragons and and these other things and no go with the shadow you know weirdness there of what did he pull from what monsters did he pull from the souls of elves when they were twisted and, and horrific so let's I think some grotesqueries would be good mm-hmm. um, but I really want them to lean into the fact that. Um, when Malarian was the god of Olgu and ruled Olgu in the Age of Myth, Olgu was a place of thinkers and scholars and a place that people went to introspect. Um, it was a place of illusion and doubt, uh, for sure, but it was a place that people went to really wrestle with all of those things. And so I think it would be great if their army actually weaponized that to some degree, that they had like apostates and heretics in the army who actually undermine priests. I know priests are are like kind of a niche thing. Only some armies do that. But I think it would be really cool if they actually part of their mechanic was um, using these illusions and this doubt and this ever present gloom in this realm to really undermine your opponent's army. Uh, from within, or, or even from within their own psyche. Yeah, if they so like, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, they have like a doom mechanic. Like they actually have like some sort of doom resource pool, and they're like, <laughs> they're gonna sing the doom song now, and uh, and your army's like, it turns off like armies. I don't know. Command abilities seems like the most in line with with doom, right? Like you're like, oh no, yeah. I don't feel heroic right now after all, and your heroic actions are turned off. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that they they have some ability to just undermine the opponent's actions, which I realize creates some some non-player. Yeah, there's some, some N- NPE, right? But so I, I hope it's done in a way that it feels like you know either it's something that you worked for, or something that you built for, or you know it's it's something maybe that builds over time. Like the longer this other army is spending in Olgu, because we hear consistently that unless you're a Daughters of Cain army, you don't come back from Olgu. 
-hmm. armies go into Olgu and no one comes back. No, like the old uh, the old Roman Empire thing of like Varus, where are my legions? Not even Varus makes it back from Olgu. The legions are gone. Varus is gone. Everybody's gone. So like the longer you spend there, that it just it drains you, or it or it really like your your leadership functions really fall apart because your leaders are the ones racked by doubt. Right. Uh, Hades, Death God. We need Shadow Specters, Dragonkin, and Shadow Priests. Oh, Shadow Priests. That would be awesome. I want to see some Illidan-like model. Well, you mentioned Shadow Priests. Like, I mean, Blizzard, tuh. But, like, Illidan, like, a, some twist, speaking of, like, twisted abomination type, like, man, like, it'd be cool to have, like, some, like, gnarly elves that are, like, gigantic, you know, twisted shadow forms and, like, uh, informs people yeah. that they are not prepared like like oh Dude. yeah well there's a hades hades is right there are a few other factions that are present in ogu there's there's some stormcast there's clan eshin we have the city of mist havens and and of course daughters of cain are all over the place so certainly uh, there are factions that have established uh, themselves Exus osiarch bone reaper legion is also from ogu that's why their bones are black yeah, um, yeah there you go but we something that is that is stressed quite often in the lore too is for every one outpost you get set up there for every stable presence you get there's a lot that just go missing mm -hmm. so even olgu itself as a realm is very alive and seems to have its own sort of malign will in a sense that in a way that some of the other realms certainly do but manifest differently yeah. And so I think that would be cool to have that as, as kind of a mechanic. That the Umberneth, when they weaponize Olgu in the way that other armies weaponize their realms, yeah, LRL's it happens a really good, in a very interesting way. A really way. good analog, right? Like how they no. bring the Aether Courts and you know, speed and enlightenment, and you have this other sort of, you know... Oh, that'd be cool. I like the wish listing. Um, yeah. and, is... and, as a, and as a final point, we have heard multiple times that shadow demons are a thing. And that Malarian and Marathi are very adept at manipulating them. So whatever the hell that means, yeah, we're, we're gonna get some of those well, too. Well, I, I'm gonna make you wish list three models that you would like are like auto include while I uh, go use the restroom because I've gone through an entire pitcher of water. Ever since oh, I've go I've, ahead, go I've, ahead. I've I've recalibrated my drinking habits, I drink a lot more water because like I, mm. it's just so easy to have a beer and just be drinking a beer, and I'm like now it's like oh, a sure. mug filled with water instead and. But yeah, so so yeah, uh, three models that absolutely like you you like you know if it's a hero, a unit that you absolutely want to see. It could be like a, it doesn't need to necessarily be something specific, but something that just you know like someone mentioned Shadow Priest. Like in terms sure. of like models or units, what are like the three specifics you'd love to see in there? Sure. You know, if All I right, ask well, the same question to a, to a, a high elf player, they might say Swordmasters and like what does that look like? You know, mm -hmm. something like that. So I'll be right back. Oh, he's he's giving me the reins to get everyone. So of course that means we're talking dark elves. Um, but uh, my idea for Umbraneth... All right, we're going to get Malarian, so I'm not going to mention Malarian. Obviously, we're going to have some sort of, of really cool centerpiece Malarian model. At least I'm hopeful that we will. If we're, if we're getting Teclis and Tyrion and Marathi, I think we're going to get Malarian. But I would want a, a hero, a, a, a foot hero of some kind, that captures this idea of, of being a heretic or being an apostate, someone who undermines or challenges the faith in other armies and that they have some sort of negative effect. So whether they um, make it possible to stop prayers from going off or whether they have sort of like anti-prayers or something like that. They have prayers of their own that are exploiting the faith that other armies have. I think that would be really cool. 
Um, I would like some sort of Blackguard analog because I think they are, they really captured this idea that Malekith had for a long time of what was he trying to shape El Elven society into? They were sort of like his perfect martial elven exemplar and i think he would carry that idea forward in some form i don't think it's going to look exactly like blackguard but i i think there will be something that still captures that idea his idea of what am i trying to shape elf kind into to resist chaos um and lastly i do think there should be some sort of grotesquery you know some sort of maybe like um, and an elf giant almost like uh, the idea that I've often had are, uh, Dark Souls has a lot of bosses that are these sort of thin gangly giants that wield weapons, um, but then often in like finery. Uh, the I'm forgetting the name of the boss in Dark Souls three, but you know that idea of sort of a, a a more thin grotesque elf giant that carries their finely made weaponry, but captures just how twisted their souls can become from the 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 torments and the trauma that they've been through. And Malarian has no problem weaponizing that and setting loose on his opponents. So maybe they even carry like an aura of despair with them, similar to the Cathalar uh, almost. Yeah. yeah, but I think we've uh, kind of what Hades is saying here in the way that Lumineth were getting some really some new aesthetic moves. They're 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 moving into some new things that we don't classically associate with elves. I think we can definitely do that with Umbreneth too, in ways that are not sort of like classically um, unseely fae or or dark fairies and things like that. Or hell, even really pull from that and then go hog wild with it. Give us weird, like, dark fairy inspiration here. Well, I, I'm hoping they go, like, how they kind of, like, LRL had, like, they went too far with some of their models. I hope they do that with Umberneth, and it's not just, like, dark elves, but different, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, Sir like, Darwinning reminded me, it was the dancer of the Boreal Valley. That's the boss from Dark Souls I was trying to think of. Yeah. How it's the, it's it's clear it's this tall it's this giant it's draped in this finery and it moves with agility and grace but it towers over you at the same time so I think that would that would be a really cool idea for a sort of a, a, a like grotesque elf giant yeah fantastic fantastic so so you kind of did some wish listing um, talked about like we, we we unlocked a hidden passion for you here here kind of mid rant cast <laughs> and and had a third topic I didn't even like plan on with Umberneth and Dark Elves. Um, where does that map to your pursuit of happiness? Our so, uh, our secret for really real topic of tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I uh, that we use in positive psychology a lot is this idea that um, in mental health we often focus on symptoms and problems. And that is, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's good for us to try to help people with their challenges and their struggles and, and to treat symptoms. That's not a bad thing. And also, we have the ability through our research, through the things that we've learned, to help people lead better lives. Not just lives that suck less, but lives that are fulfilled and enriched. So if we can do that for them, we should make that a priority too. It shouldn't just be that your life doesn't suck as much. It should be that your life is worth living and not just happy, something, something a bit more than happy, something that is meaningful and valuable to you. Well, I, I guess, so I get it just, just, I got to ask, maybe it's a dumb question or an obvious question, but like, I guess what is happiness in the, in the, the clinical or the psychological sense? 
I I, I, I could ask this as, in a philosophical sense because I struggle with depression. I like I'm mm-hmm. si- I have my long periods where I'm sitting there like, am I happy? And like I'm not. Ha- I'm like neutral, but I'm not happy. I'm not like smiling. I'm not giddy. I'm not. I don't have like a particular positive. Like I feel like I'm idling more than I'm ever really like happy i you know they talk to someone like chuck moore i'm like this motherfucker is always happy <laughs> like you know, like i'm like what the f- you just fucking and we, we i mean we crack on each other a little bit you know in the endearing manner i'm like you get out of bed and you're just like this dude like <laughs> like, like what the f- what is happy i'm not you know from a, a clinical yeah. sense yeah so one of the challenge that's a challenge our field has faced in trying to answer that question are we trying to get people to be happy because that comes with some benefits but it comes with some very real drawbacks happy makes um, you dumb I, think, I remember that from our first episode you were on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like like any emotion happiness joy is one of our most basic emotions one of our most foundational ones but any emotion has its strengths and its drawbacks they're all purposeful but whenever they are running the ship you run into problems and that's true even of the more positive emotions so um, so happiness, being in a certain emotional state, is hard to set as a goal. Also, our body is not good at maintaining intense emotions for a long time. It's just not how it works. It's not what it's equipped for. So, so when I, it I is... sometimes talk about how I feel like I have a finite amount of happiness in a given week, like I'm not mm. entirely wrong. No, not at all. Our, our mood generally tries to return to its baseline. Now we all we all have ups and downs. We all have normal degrees to which we're we're having a good day, we're having a bad day. For some people, those ups and downs get too high and too low, and then they they get into areas where they need help. You know, you get too low, you get depression. You get too high, you get mania. Um, so, so part of it is not is trying to move away from this idea of how do we help people be happy, and more to how do we have happiness as part of it. And that's where this concept of PERMA comes in. Okay. Um, PERMA is an, was a concept introduced by Martin Seligman, one of, the, one of the big names in positive psychology. And it was based on this idea of what are the components that make for a good, satisfying life? And it's not just happiness, but happiness is a part of it. Okay, so happiness is a part of this, this PERMA for this, you know, this more fulfilling, positive life. Uh, I guess real quick, what is positive psychology? You mentioned you you have a sure. focus on positive psychology, self compassion. What is, I, I, I'm getting the sense that positive psychology is a capital P, you know, capital mm-hmm. P, right? Like, correct. Positive psychology is one of the schools of thought, one of the bigger, uh, not bigger, but one of the big schools in the field. We have a number of different theoretical uh, orientations that help us kind of align how we view our clients, how we view the work that we do, how we view the human experience. Okay. Positive psychology has as its core uh, what I mentioned before, that idea that our role is not just to help people recover from from problems, it's to help people get better and lead better, more enriched lives. Okay. All right. Um, it's, a, it's a sister school to the humanistic school of thought, which had that whole idea of humans have a potential, and part of what we do for them is help them live up to their potential. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for, for you know, by answering my sure. questions, you're probably answering some check-in questions here. So then PERMA, what, I guess, what does PERMA stand for? This is a, This looks like an acronym. and It is. It is an acronym. So PERMA has, uh, it's P-E-R-M-A. P is for positive emotion. 
E is for engagement. R is for relationships. M is for meaning. And A is for accomplishments. Now, we use these words in specific ways, so they may not quite resemble what they look like on the tin, but some of them are also pretty literal. Mm -hmm. okay. Positive emotions. Normally, I try not to call emotions positive or negative because it's kind of a loaded way of looking at emotions. Yeah, like but... as we covered in the in the in the, the honestly, it's one of my favorite episodes. I think it's like episode mm -hmm. about thirty or forty. Uh, I, it'll be in the description below for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, where we kind of map the chaos gods to to base emotions. Like anger motivates you, right? We mm -hmm. we know this in like voting, right? Like people don't vote unless they're pretty much for the most part. We've seen this trend in in humanity in Americans certainly. It's like they tend not to vote unless they're mad. Like, anger is useful, right? It can mm -hmm. motivate you. So it's framing emotions as negative or positive. It's more about when they get out of whack or when they're driving the ship for too long, right? Like, I don't want to... Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, emotions are, are purposeful. Anger is a great example. We often look at anger as a negative or, um, or if you're socialized in the way many men are in the United States, Toxic. then anger is pretty much <laughs> your only emotion you get told is appropriate. Yeah, um, unless, so you're, unless you're playing sports and then on sports you're allowed to have all of your emotions in sports again. Like, yeah, you're, for, yeah, for sure. In sports, although sports in some ways is sort of like channeled anger. Um, but, but you yeah, can, the, you can I, cry when you win or you can cry when you win. Like if you win the big right. chance, like that's, there, uh, there's a whole paradigm of like masculinity and like how the interplay sure. with sports. I, I will go, I will go into the weeds on that. Um, as always, 30 rock has a quote for this. There's a line at one point where, uh, one character cries and his older mentor says, you've chosen your one time to cry. Well, your one lifetime cry. You've chosen it for this moment, and it was because he got a promotion at work. So, so we we get into this idea of labeling emotions positive or negative. So, what what we mean here by positive emotion are the ones that generally are more comfortable and that we seek out. Things like happiness, excitement, uh, hopefulness. What we find is that when those are present in our lives and we have access to sources of those that tends to help us feel more fulfilled. So to use that, I always like to relate stuff back to the hobby. because Oh, yeah, come back to Warhammer. Show. Make it, I think make it so, relatable with Warhammer. This is a Warhammer show, after all. At least I'm told it is by my producers. Right, yeah. <laughs> we, it might not always seem that way, ladies and gentlemen, but we try. Uh, um, I'm the producer, by the way. <laughs> by my producer. I'm just going to start referring to myself as my own producer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are. You're wearing a lot of hats. Um, Too but, many. But in, in our hobby, we seek out positive experiences all the time, positive emotions all the time. Whether that's um, the joy that comes from realizing you have a game in the bag, that you, you've got the lead and there's no way your opponent's going to come back. Or the joy at, you know, getting that color scheme manifested on the model and it turned out great. Or that conversion really came together. Or that you and your friends just getting together to, to play a game for a while and you've just got that togetherness. And who cares how the games go? You're just happy to have everyone there having a good time. And cool. to see your one friend's pet model get destroyed on the table because you hate that damn thing. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite model? The, my favorite question to ask people when I'm like holding Nagash. And they're just like, and they're like, oh, like this one. And they, every single time they begin to tell me, and then they realize why I've asked, like on a delay. Every single time. It's one of my favorite things. Go on. <laughs> so, 
so one of the things that I, I wanted to get to through this idea of PERMA and with our hobby is to point out there are so many paths to satisfaction here. And I think it's always helpful for us to continue to dispel the myth that there's, you know, one way to do something or one way to enjoy something. And, and nothing, I think, captures that quite so well as just what actually makes you happy in the hobby. And whatever that is, go for it. Make sure you've got some source for that. And if you're losing it, that's okay too. You may still get satisfaction from other areas because emotions can also be ephemeral at times. They can be hard to just call when we need them. But when they're there, they help. So I remember one of our earlier conversations, we talked about like sort of chasing the dopamine of like of, of purchasing because mm -hmm. purchasing can bring me happiness. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sure, happy when I buy the model. But that seems somehow more fleeting than I think what you're getting at. Exactly. We want to create these stable sources of this emotion because something like a purchase is too fleeting. It's you, you're excited about it, you're excited when it comes, and then it goes on the shelf. Having these more stable sources of enjoyment, excitement, satisfaction, that's what matters. And savoring those moments when they come up actually pausing and taking the time to be aware of what you're happy about there, to be aware of that positivity and say, this is a good thing. I'm glad this is here. I'm glad I'm doing this. That then further enhances the effect and gets it to last. And we just don't tend to do that with our purchases. Well, I mean, for a moment here, like you're, you're, you're saying like to sort of stand in your happiness when you have those moments, like actually Absolutely. let yourself see, I, I have, I, I'm gonna draw for me because, like, I know me, um, and I, mm -hmm. but I don't speak for anybody else. I, I have this thing where, like, when I'm about, when I find that I'm happy, I kind of like look around. I'm like, oh shit, you know, right? And, and worry that the other shoe shoe is going to drop or something, or like I'm gonna be punished cosmically because I'm happy right now and I'm not supposed to be. You're saying like when you have that moment of happiness to actually kind of like go like, yeah, <laughs> like to just kind of stand yeah. it in a while, acknowledge exactly. it, and, and let you indulge, lean into it is. I, I don't know, I guess, how I'd say it. but For sure. Yeah, we we have done a lot of research on, on getting some more lasting effects from positive events that go on. And we've generally found two approaches that help us to do that. One is savoring, actually slowing down in the positive thing, recognizing it's happening, and reflecting on it. To so, say... Go ahead. So, and... and and I think we all have had that experience of um, of the model comes out that we're excited for, or we get the model that we're excited for, and we actually pause for a minute and say, it's actually happening. It's actually here. I remember doing that when we got that amazing video when of Marathi. Right before they announced Marathi, we got that amazing voiceover and that scroll Real, Really through. great rollout, yeah. Yeah. And just that moment of this character that I that I like so much that I'm so invested in, it seems like they're coming. And that's really cool. Is that I'm actually gonna have this again. Is is that like kind of what you're doing when you're like when something happens and like you have to like talk to your friend real quick? You're like, oh man, I saw the Marathi model. It did you see the Marathi model? Is are you doing a is that is that in the savoring category? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and 
savoring it, it can be a joint thing but we all, we need to be careful because sometimes that can lead to hype and then hype gets into some problematic territory <laughs> is is hype but, the like, the, ty- the technical psychological term tell me it is like uh, it, it's i haven't heard ty- hype used in any psychological <laughs> text but uh that doesn't mean it hasn't been so <laughs> Uh, other other <laughs> more well-read psychologists than I might know that one. And they're like, and, uh, and this is, uh, you know, this is uh, Dr. Mylonis' uh, Greater Theorem of Hype. And, of uh, hype. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like go and get your book published on hype and the, the, the pitfalls of hype and, like, define what hype is. And... <laughs> Yes, greater hype theory will be in my in my next book. Yeah, Come, coming soon. <laughs> so, but, so, yeah, uh, so dangers of hype. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, because you can overhype yourself, you can overexcite yourself, you can overindulge, and that for me, per, to me, that what comes to mind is a problem of perspective getting out of line with with what might happen, right? For like, sure. This is the so so ahead. that's yeah. why savoring is is very present focused. It's. This positive thing has happened in this moment, and I'm glad that happened. I'm glad this is here. And you hang on to that moment, and then you go about your day. So so I, when then, I land a hand of dust, I can be like, like for just a minute, like, yeah. like just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, t- it, do that inhale. Hold the air for a second. Just say, I did this. Yeah, okay. And then let it go <laughs> while your opponent cries in the corner. <laughs> But so savoring is very present focused. And the other the other method to really extending that is gratitude. And gratitude is is more where we take a look at what's happened and we pick out the positive things. Gratitude is really important because our mind has a tendency to overweight the negative. It's a a survival tool. Our brain gives negative events more weight because those are the things that are more likely to kill you, essentially. Right. Because of that, our memory can trend negative. Many of us have had the experience of laying down at night, you're just about to go to sleep, and your brain says, here's all the negative shit that you need to pay attention to. And (laughs) how disorienting that is, how hard it is to then sleep. So gratitude exercises help us recalibrate. We look back and we intentionally highlight the positive things. They don't have to be big. They're often little things to remind ourselves these positive things are in my life and that rebalances the scale. My cup of coffee this morning was fucking on point. I, I have like mm-hmm. a, a thermos, 89 cents to refill. It's over 20. It's like a 22 ounce, 24 ounce. Like it's a, it's a big one. It actually says big buddy on it. It's, it's a big mug. <laughs> and, uh, uh, shout out to my Wisconsin friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> they know if you know, you know, um, and like I, I, one of my quiet moments, I often call it, like, is my ritual. My ritual, it, uh, ritual, like the the notion of ritual, not as a magical context, but like a behavior that you do right. uh, with that you give some weight to that you maybe I'm accidentally permitting it. I don't know. Like, but rich, the notion that ritual matters, and and you know, one of my rituals is going in and refilling my thermos. Yeah, I. I use the coffee pot at home too, but it's not quite the same as like going in, looking at the display of the various flavors of coffee, going like today I feel like I will get the rainforest safe Colombian, right? And ooh, I'm gonna splash in a little bit of that, uh, you know, of the Amaretto coffee because they haven't had that one out in a while. And so then I get my coffee and then I go over and I look at the display of, uh, of syrups and yeah, I don't really like the syrups. I'm not really feeling them today, but like today I'm like I'm gonna give it one pump of the caramel some half and half mm. 
And I was like, and the, like I got the exact like you normally if you've seen these pumps, if you if you pump into the mug after you got your coffee in, you've already made a mistake because it just like, everywhere. <laughs> and so it's I, just <laughs> as the caramel stream goes in, a stream of coffee goes out. <laughs> yeah, it just like a, and I did it like the the amateur way is like because I already have my coffee, but then I impulsively I'm like, oh, I will go for the pump of caramel today, and like it it didn't explode. And then when I drank the coffee, like, I'm like, I have to drink this going to line, which for me is a little bit of a faux pas, because, like, I haven't paid for it yet. But, like, <laughs> how do I know I have got the right amount of creamer unless I sip it? But, like, anyway, I take that, like, that forbidden sip as I go to line, and I'm like, it's perfect. Like, I'm like, the ratio, the, the, the dab of caramel, the, the right amount of creamer, a little little hit of sugar from the, from the shaky jar, and I'm like, like, when the ratios of the coffee are perfect. Like, that, for me, I savored that moment. And, like, yeah. now I'm looking back on it and being like, yo, that was dope today. <laughs> for sure. That is a perfect example of something to be savored in the moment and then to express gratitude later on. They, these are the types of things that we often are calling out, um, especially if we make gratitude a regular exercise. We don't expect there to be big, radical changes in your life from day to day. That's pretty unstable. That would be pretty chaotic. But... For these little things that we might, you know, on another day, you might have done the same and you just didn't pay attention. You just didn't notice it. Mm -hmm. And yet how positive that event can be. Right. So that's where that positive emotion comes in, making sure that we're recognizing that we have sources for that emotion, but that we're also recognizing when those feelings are coming up in the moment. Uh, Hades, I'm, I pronounce it differently every single time. I'm sure if you run back the clip of this later on, <laughs> you'll hear me pronounce caramel, 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 caramel. Like, I say it different every single time, and I do it as a psyop. I hope it hurts you. <laughs> I hope I've inflicted psychic damage to at least one of three different types of people, and each one of you once. <laughs> <laughs> it, w it wouldn't be a show with a psychologist unless we were looking for a way to do at least a little psychic. Yeah, I wouldn't, like, I, <laughs> I, like, like, why do I have bad dice in Age of Sigmar? It's the psychic damage. I Like, when I walk up to the table, I already want to inflict harm. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were actually, I'm sorry, there's a tangent within this this fantastic, like, uh, 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 segment of the show. The real part of the show, mind you, everyone. Um, I was talking to Brendan because uh, uh, Kyle had mentioned to Brendan this idea of, like, taking your wacky list and then, like, having him pilot them or trying to, like, eke them mm -hmm. into something good. Like, so you have, like, your premise, right? Like, uh, I want castigators to be great, and, like, here's my wacky castigator list. And I want to, like, castigators must nerf death, right? Like, the you know, like, have your proof. Right, right, yeah. And then he, like, takes it to the next level or must pilot it at a tournament. We were talking about doing something like that. And uh, so I was talking to Brendan about this this premise, and I remember pantomiming you like i became you in the conversation i'm like you fool <laughs> like like you are a master of warhammer but i am a master of your mind and like talking about like how you've like created a list to, to created a list to try to like traumatize him and agonize him and he's like no and like alex floats above the field like like you fool you th he's like he's like you can't break my mind i've already been broken and i'm like you fool yes you've been broken on this planes but are you not familiar with young you have an entire collective unconscious for me to to bend to my will and just like this whole like fucking sorry it was <laughs> uh, and and sadly it'll be it'll be his co-host Dan who has to put up with it because he's the one night haunt player I keep running into 
So I'll build this whole castigator spam list and he'll be like, why did you build a list to counter me? What did I do? <laughs> it will give Brendan anguish too. Like he'll feel this like, because he has to pilot Stormcast. <laughs> to, to destroy what he loves no less, which, which is death. <laughs> it's like that heartbreaking scene in fucking I Am Legend with the dog. Just like, no! No! Sorry. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> when, when Kyle and I were bouncing this idea around, I think we were planning on doing this for the the Auric battle tome. So that way, at least if Brendan grudgingly had to fix our lists, it was an army he liked playing. <laughs> there you go. Oh, dude, he's in on he's in on Cruel Boys right now. Watch uh, a friend of the show, Brendan Melnick, uh, Cubic Shenanigans podcast. I'm sure he's about to talk about Cruel Boys. It's the only like just get ready for that checking uh real quick check catching up uh catching up with the chat and then we'll get back to perma uh listen if you're consistently inconsistent then i'm happy <laughs> thank you uh Wall or joel uh that story was awesome meff <laughs> <laughs> thank you no i mean i mean really uh this is this ties into the next question from Wall or joel which is what's more therapeutic coffee or burrito which is this is to me um mm. so uh trick question uh but like um yeah i, I don't know like it, it, part of my patchwork quilt of self-help which has been a little out of whack lately because the normal amount of stress i function under the normal amount of anxiety the normal amount of all the stuff that's you know my neutral is is out of whack for me even and like i have a big threshold for negativity and it's out of whack for me. So, like, my normal stuff isn't working anymore. And it's like, it's all right. It's time to talk to the primary care physician and, and get a referral because I, I can't, I cannot sustain what I'm currently going through myself and being able to recognize that. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but, to, but, you know, the coffee thing is part of my patchwork quilt. It's daily mm. ritual that I recognize as often as I'm able. Uh, and so, like, I pretty much can't function without the coffee. And it's not a caffeine thing. It's just like, it's the ritual of the coffee. So which one is more therapeutic? It's the burrito, though. But they're not doing the same function, you see. The coffee is baseline what I need. It's like a summoning ritual, okay? Like, I have to draw my, like, circle magic. Like, I have to, like, draw the circle. Like, I have to chant, like, Nagash's mighty name. And then, like, and then I am powered for the day. Except... Nagash's mighty name is just coffee. Like it's, you know, and then I drink the coffee. It's it's Nagash's true name, by the way. If you ever want to use uh, binding rituals on on Nagash, uh, so your celestial name is very important in binding rituals, and that's his name. Uh, and uh, uh, so, but it's the burrito. Uh, the burrito is uh, uh, don't eat your emotions, folks. Mephisto is not standing eating your emotions, but having a like a a a, a, a mental health burrito. Uh, taken from the Onion article. Are you familiar with the Onion article? Uh, yes, yeah, I the, saw that one a ways back. Yeah, yeah burrito to to solve uh, area all of Area Man's problems for six precious minutes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, having a break glass in case of emergency mental health burrito. Like, oh yeah, like there is a there is a type of day I am having where I'm like. Like, I push the button. I'm like, it's burrito day. Like, I've already ordered Qdoba. And it's getting to the point where Molly is like, when she sees the Qdoba charge come in, she's like, bad day. And I'm like, <sighs> like you, you have you have no idea. Yeah, but, like, but the, the, the mental health burrito is powerful because I don't eat the mental health burrito all the time. I don't get Taco Bell mm -hmm. all the time. I'm not getting yeah. fast food all the time. It's a, It's got to keep its power, you know, like. 
So to answer your question, Joel, um, that has nothing to do with what the actual psychologist <laughs> is talking about, by the way. <laughs> I'm just so 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 I'll I'll weigh in as a as a professional Wallord Joel on your question here. Uh, the answer is burrito because all coffee tastes the same. And now we're gonna move right on. No no response to the hot take. I'm sorry, you don't get a response, everyone. That's just what you get. Engagement. Engagement <laughs> is our next letter of karma. That is. Man, you are you are like on fire tonight. Like harshing on resurrection mechanics. Like now the coffee. Wow, he's coming for me, folks. <laughs> Just like the models, you won't be resurrecting to your unit. We're not going to talk about coffee tasting like anything other than bitter drink. He's got. Still... <laughs> he's got a doctorate in psych. Drinking. Yeah, he's got a doctorate in psychology and assassination. <laughs> <laughs> It's a dual major. Yeah. Um, it's a rare major. We don't often go for that one. Yeah. I heal it and I take it away. Anyway, <laughs> engagement is our next letter of PERMA. Engagement is one that's a little bit interesting because on the tin, it's not quite clear what that means. Engagement talks about flow states. For those of you who may not have heard of, of a flow state before, flow is that experience where you are doing something and time slips away. Writers. You are fully absorbed and in, and and engaged in the thing just for the sake of the thing. And uh, creative types experience this, but we all experience this to some degree in different activities. Um, and and we certainly experience this in the hobby. You know, when you're you're painting or building or listening to your favorite podcast or um, or playing a game and you're just having so much fun messing around with your opponent, you, you lose all sense of, you know, how far along is the game or, or what round are you in? Um, these experiences actually have shown to be an important part of our of our overall satisfaction when we don't have access to activities that bring on these kinds of experiences life starts to seem more bland and we don't seem to be as absorbed. Our life seems kind of dull and routine. If you don't so hit no, the flow state or if you, if you don't hit those. Yeah. And often in that state is when we feel our most creative, our most productive, our most us. And so having some source of that is really useful. Um, it's not always possible for us to have, it's not an on-demand thing. You can't just say, I'm going to sit down and paint and flow happens. It's it's not like that. But knowing that when you paint, that tends to happen, great. Now you have a source. Now you have access. So it's it's knowing the things that trigger the flow state and doing them. Is that what's worthy mm -hmm. here? Like So like I know and, that when I write, I have a... I don't always hit the flow state. Sometimes it's like I just stare at a blinking cursor and it's like taunting me like, fuck you, cursor. You don't know what my thoughts are. And then it's like, yes, I do. You just type these. Ah! Like, you know, like, <laughs> like it, but I know if I write, I, it's weird because this is like oddly validating to exact words I said to Molly today where, because I've been going through oh, my, wow. my, my lamentations about like how stressed and anxious I am. I talked to Molly and G-Dead, both. I, I said this to both of them. I was like, I'm like, I always get more angsty when I haven't written in a while. And mm -hmm. n what's more likely happening, kind of characterizing it in, in what you're talking about, is that I haven't achieved a flow state recently, and I associate that flow state with writing, because that's one of the things that I do that naturally puts me, that's more likely to get me to, you know, flow than not. So, uh, 
for sure. And and there are some signature things that are likely to bring on flow. And I think writing's a fantastic example there. A, a flow state tends to happen when something has a really good combination of challenge and our own skills and our own strengths. When we're able to utilize our character strengths, especially our, our core ones that we're most aligned with, we feel validated. We feel uh, we feel that we are in touch with who we are, our, our authentic I, self, I our love, most capable self. I love it because it's like you're describing like an art, like life is an RPG right now. Like you're like, oh, my core, uh, you know, my core stats or my core traits. Like For sure. <laughs> when when I uh, no, yeah, you're right. When I when I use my feats that I've specialized in at character creation, that was my life. Like. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> gonna take two points yeah. and paint models. Uh, color theory, who fucking needs that? But I will take a point in useless sci-fi trivia. <laughs> <laughs> All sci-fi trivia is crucial information for the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, but but we can we see this in games so often. We see this idea of you know when you when you build a character or come up with a plan and it executes well. And you have a sense that it didn't just go off because of chance. It went off because you engaged it. How meaningful and how satisfying that is. Um, oh, and on the hobby side, you know, trying out a new technique and then gradually mastering it. Because or the new technique is your... going to bring you that challenge. Because challenge is part mm -hmm. of the necessity. Because if it's something routine that doesn't necessarily challenge you, you might not be as likely to hit that state. I, I'm... Right, right. A, a great example of that is that meditative trance we all go into when driving. That's not a flow state because it's not challenging for us. It's not, um, unless you are someone who really likes driving. And there are people out there who find driving uh, relaxing and enjoyable, more power to them. They can get that flow state sometimes from that. But for most of us, it's more of a trance. It's just our mind disconnects because there's no, there's no stimulus that's really useful to it. Um, and so that's not really engagement doing th this is why we often say, you know, if you're building a lot of a model, your your 60th grot is not nearly as interesting for you to paint as your fifth one. Right. Okay. So in so engagement captures that that combination of challenge and skill and ability and being absorbed into the thing. So I'm just trying to, to, to make sure I've like kind of processed all this. So, like, you can't necessarily turn on – it's not a tap. The flow state isn't, like, you don't just, like, turn on right. a valve and, like, boom, you hit it. But there are ways you set yourself up to do it, which is, I mean, I guess, like, a, something that should theoretically challenge you but also taps into your, like, sort of, like, uh, you know, your your base – I don't say aspirations. What you, you said core characteristics or something like that. It was it – was, your your core strengths for core sure, strengths. and and I wanna and I wanna make clear, you don't have to be good at something to get engagement out of it. You don't have to be skilled or talented in it. Um, the, the beginners experience that flow much the same way that masters do. Um, so so if you want to try to engage a flow state more often, to be engaged more often, do things you love and try to really be present when you're doing them. Be in the moment with them. And try to find the aspects of that thing you love that you especially even feel that you're good at or that you're really invested in and do those in particular. Okay. Okay. So then we get to R for relationships and specifically positive relationships. We are social creatures. 
humans, uh, one of our, our core personality characteristics is introversion and extroversion. But even introverts, introverts don't dislike interactions with other people. They love interactions with other people. Yeah, you're just Russell. Find them yeah. They just find them draining. Yeah, you're Russell from uh, from the Clerks. You, but you hate people. But I love gatherings. Like, you know, like you. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, like introvert, like it, it's, it's, it's uh, on my time like i like it drains me to be around people but like i still want that like it's meaningful to me like i you know i have i have a hundred social currency bucks and i've saved 50 of them for tonight's conversation and i i'm i'm loving it right and i had to sure. spend fucking 10 on talking to my boss today and i'm mad and you know <laughs> so so yeah. but but this captures as humans we are social creatures the humans who genuinely have no desire for human interaction are few and far between. So all of us to some degree want some kind of want or have needs in the social realm. And when we have positive sources for that, when we have healthy adaptive relationships that we get those benefits from, those become such a crucial part of how we have satisfying lives. Um, which is why it's such a common thing that when you see people and they're having conflicts in uh, their romantic relationships or they're having conflicts in their family or they're having conflicts with their close friends, how it spills over into so many other areas. And yet when those relationships are stable or when those relationships are really fulfilling, even if a lot of other things are struggling, people might have a sense that their life is doing okay. So that just goes to show how powerful having these positive relationships can be. And in our hobby, there's such a strong social component when you've got that network of people who who build you up, who you feel positive with, who you get along really well with, how how happy and and wonderful it is to engage with them, and also how much we get affected when there's trends of negativity in the community. Although we do have to be able to make that differentiation between, you know, some of that negativity is fair, some of it's fair critique, right. um, but how hard it is when you feel like these positive relationships become tainted or soured, or even if there's, I mean. Even if there's like a, a prevalence of negative critique, but then you're like, man, I can't engage this right now because, you know, I need the positive fulfillment from the relationship right now. And I go, it, that's where I unplug from Twitter. I'm just like, nope, not today. Like, I don't need this, like, interacting <laughs> with my, like, it, <sighs> the Age of Sigmar community is such a, a strong, it's a social game. And I feel like the strong <laughs> social bonds for this game are one of the major strengths of Age of Sigmar and I think that's mm -hmm. why it's it's so compelling um that you can you know when you're painting a model like someone's like yo you're doing great like you know that it, where the fuck else do you get that in life <laughs> you know mm, <laughs> like it's yeah. so it's so uh maybe that's part of why I think Age of Sigmar is so special is because it is kind of an agent for positive uh, uh I don't know psychology it, it shows it shows some of those healthy, positive interactions between us. When someone you don't know very well uses this connection to say to you, hey, that's a great thing that you're doing, or hey, I really like that, it gives us a positive boost. We appreciate that external validation, that external feedback. Mm -hmm. External validation is not a bad thing in and of itself. We all love it when it happens. Oh, I need it. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Follow below. Yes. yes. Give, By feed the way, my everyone... validation. Feed it. Yes. Yeah. 
for more psychology tips, like and subscribe. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> when we chase that too much, that becomes problematic. And we've all seen what that happens. When, when we are, are hanging on a person's every word or when there's one person who we absolutely crave that validation from and we can't get it. So having these positive relationships, um, that can be so crucial. And positive relationships are reciprocal. They're respectful. They're amicable. We're able to talk out our conflicts. Um, conflicts are good. They're seen as something that helps us clear the air or work through things. Um, and we have a sense that we can have those talks and they might be sensitive and they might be hard, but they're not going to, they're not going to hurt us. They're not going to hurt one another. So seeking um, or oh, go ahead, finish. Your oh, go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, so, so I was seek, just going to ramble on. So seeking validation, like, you know, in you can go out of whack with that. Like that's Hades is like daddy issues alert. But I mean, that that's the cliche or the maybe the stereotype is like, like, I need my father's approval. I need that validation. If I don't have it, then I have a bad day. Right. Like something like that. Is that the, sure? Okay. Um, yeah, well, so for instance, um, if we get really attached to a certain content creator, uh, perhaps a certain dapper psychologist who guest stars on a, on a show from time to time, and then that creator says something that we don't like, um, like tastes the same, we're really relying, we're, we're <laughs> investing a lot into the validation from that person. And now, well, I'm a coffee lover and Alex seems to think that Dunkin' Donuts is the same as Javalia. So <laughs> what, what do I make of this now? Yeah. Um, so it's important that we have these, we recognize what relationships are positive and are healthy and also the limits of them. Well, yeah. Um, okay, go on, finish. So one one thing I wanted to call out, for instance, that... I see in the Age of Sigmar community that I'm I'm really happy about is generally we're pretty open and welcoming to people who don't quite fit the the mold of what you might expect from you know a war gamer. You know we have the the joking stereotype that this is a a game for dad like game, thirty right? something yeah. dads. It's a dad game, but in Age of Sigmar we have uh, we have members in the community. Who are trans we have members of the community who are who are female we have members of the community who just paint um who you know might have a lot of other stuff going on in their lives but through this they get a, a channel out into other into other people and they get acceptance that way and they get validation um we get people who are you you get your your you know 30 something caucasian hetero cis hetero dad who's like oh yeah, I'm going to put pronouns in my bio because that's going to make other people feel comfortable. Or you go by they, them. Well, that's going to take me a minute to get used to, but yeah, sure. Let me use that. By the way, that Tyranid conversion, that's beautiful. That's a, a gorgeous thing you made well, there's, there. There's a humanization element when you have those positive connections. Even, you know, yeah. like your, your example there where like they use they, them and like, you're like, wait a minute. I mean, that's maybe, you know, I'm not used to that, but like, man, your Tyranids are sweet. They, them's like dope with me. You know, like I'm, they're cool. I mean, that that, that yeah. positive relationship thing is, you know, it, it just made the, you know, comment on, mm -hmm. on they, them. But to change gears a little bit, like when you have a positive relationship with someone and you disagree with them, you're more likely to come to a resolution. For sure. Like, okay. Or, or you, if you can't find a resolution, you have found a way that you can still talk about the issue. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. You know, um, so like if I told everyone in chat gang right now because I have a positive relationship with them that I think Zinch is the worst army, like, like just I hate that army, but but like I have sure. a good relationship with like a certain good looking uh psychologist that's <laughs> regularly on, we can we can find ways to like meaningfully engage and talk about Zinch anyway, even if I'm like, yeah, I don't like it, I disagree, right. For sure, yeah. We we may not ever be able to come across on that issue. We may not be able to resolve the fact that you don't like Zinch and I like Zinch, but we can still have a discussion <laughs> around it and we can navigate that. You know, if we decide to go to a doubles event, I know to go to you and say, hey, you know, I'm going to bring Zinch. You don't have to bring Zinch. Or, or you know, if uh, or I'm just letting it. you know this is happening. Whereas if I go to you and I'm like, I've got a great double Zinch list idea why would I do that? I know you don't like them and that's not going to lead us somewhere, even if I really like my idea. So well, to, to be fair, is... this hypothetical, I would play your doubles. I would play a doubles each list with you, Alex. <laughs> Especially if it, you transport the whole thing, the mental bandwidth now that you've taken care of for me, the utility that it's worth, oh, the mental <laughs> utility of like, oh, now I don't even have to bring an army. I'm, I can swallow my pride on the Zinch thing for, for a weekend. <laughs> it, it helps that horrors are very sturdy, so you can just treat them like a barrel of monkeys. I literally just have a plastic bin of assorted horrors. Three, they're not... three coats of varnish, they're good to go. <laughs> yeah, right. If that. If that. Yeah. Um, um, so, so relationships are a huge component, and cultivating those positive relationships in the community is a good thing. That doesn't mean you always have to agree with everyone. That doesn't mean you can't have harder conversations, but it means finding the people who who help to bring joy, who help to bring lightness, or who you can have those harder conversations with and it feels respectful and it feels comfortable. Um, and it also means recognizing who's not a good faith actor and telling yourself it's okay not to engage with them. You know, if you are one of those one of those people in our community who says, you know, it's great that we have a whole bunch of, of trans people and, and I'm trans and I'm going to be more open about it. And you get a bunch of hate mail. First of all, I'm terribly sorry. And second of all, you don't have to engage with those people. Fuck them. <laughs> the rest of us are happy to welcome you into our community yeah. because you deserve to be here as much as anyone else. Right on. So it's recognizing also when relationships are not so healthy and being willing to set boundaries. Is there, is there a way to? I mean, is there a way to? I, I guess I not identify, but like you said, cultivate positive relationships. God, that seems mm -hmm. loaded. Like, what if I am a, a nerd <laughs> stereotype who's like kind of awkward socially? I am an introvert. I want social interactions. Like, how the hell do I even begin cultivating these positive relationships? Where do I even start? For sure, no, it's a great question. It's it's difficult. But it can be done, and it requires you to be willing to push yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone at a time and to take some steps a little bit at a time and to remember that you have strengths. You may or may not have strengths that are in the social arena, but that doesn't mean that you don't have strengths. And any time you can act from a place of your character strengths, that's going to help you. Um, the VIA Institute, or it might be the VIA Institute, has a free character strengths assessment. You can just go on their website, you make an account, it's genuinely free, they don't hit you up for anything, and it will show you the hierarchy of 24 character strengths. So if you're ever in a place where you're saying, you know, I, I like Age of Sigmar, I'm interested, maybe I've even bought and started an army, but the idea of socializing with other people, or, or going to an event, or reaching out on social media to try to meet people seems daunting that's fair 
that's totally fair. And maybe go do the strengths assessment and see what your core strengths are. Maybe one of those gives you a place you can come from that feels a little comfortable. Okay, I'm, I have a strength of judgment. You know, I'm pretty good at list analysis. I'm pretty good at figuring out what's competitive. Maybe I start by posting on or, you know, reaching out to some of those communities, recognizing they can, they can get a little testy, but maybe getting that respectful dialogue going with someone about, hey, yeah, I, I, I see you have this view of this unit. I have this view. Okay, it helps you learn about respectful dialogue. You get to use your strength of judgment and analysis and gradually let that push you into the social realm. That's a really great, uh, like, uh, contextual Utilization of of that actually like I mean how many discords in our community have like a, a list science like sure. discord section and so you start posting lists and having those positive conversations uh, or rather I should say a, a conversation from a place of, of of you know sort of positive character traits and then you can engage with that uh, real quick we must address that many nerds nerding just raided thank you so much for the raid welcome to chat gang thanks for hanging out with us uh if you're just now joining us we're, we're uh, talking with dr alex Milonis. uh a uh well i guess i'll let you pitch what are we talking about alex we're we're talking about perma which is an acronym that captures aspects of a satisfying life a satisfying and happy and healthy life um, we've gone through a couple so far, which are positive emotions, you know, having sources of uh, happiness and joy, excitement and hope, and how to build some of those into your life through things like savoring or gratitude. Yeah. And we're, uh, we've also talked about, oh, go, oh, go ahead. Oh, we're, we're, we're very, we're trying to, uh, if you're new to Rantcast, uh, uh, it's an AOS or Warhammer podcast, and we really indulge the uh, nerd adjacencies around here. So um, we started the episode out tonight with talking about wacky Stormcast Eternals lists, and we've kind of like uh, mm -hmm. turned, we've started talking about sort of contextualizing some of these uh, psychological terms into uh, how that might help in Warhammer um, specifically, or how we might identify this stuff in Warhammer. And Alex is a doctor of psychology, so... Um, um, so hello and, so, and thanks for the raid yeah okay yeah. Uh, so we, we went through positive emotions we went through engagement which is about developing flow states and we just talked about relationships and how positive healthy relationships can be so crucial Unbelievable. so let's talk about meaning meaning is feeling connected to something bigger than ourselves this is talking about engaging in our values in the things that are that add some positive weight to our lives. When we're connected to something meaningful, it makes all of our efforts feel actually important and feel valuable. Um, we've all had the experience of putting a lot of work into something that we don't care about or something that we don't find valuable and how draining that is. So having a sense that we have a purposeful, uh, purpose in life or a purposeful life, and that differs from person to person, but knowing that we're in touch with that and we're engaging in that helps us feel like our lives are satisfying. So turn that back around to our hobby. And there's so many sources of meaning that you can have. But a few that come to mind are things like you could start a podcast or start a community. Um, that is something you're literally starting something bigger than you connecting people together. Yeah. Um, you could join an organization like a, or start an organization like a school league. 
um, introducing kids to to Warhammer, to the creative aspects of the hobby, to uh, the teamwork and collaboration there, and how important that might be to, to foster the next generation. Well, this this or, is a... go ahead, go ahead. Or um, if developing some of your skills is something that's meaningful to you, that could be in the creative side. That could mean the gameplay side. Um, joining a, a competitive team, a tournament team, or uh, joining painting competitions and getting in touch with other painters to try to help each of you get to that, you know, winning that golden demon or that uh, armies on armies on parade do do awards. Um, well, whatever. Let's say that they do something like that. Those are ways that meaning interacts with our hobby. So, so with meaning, is is the relationships a component of meaning? Like, absolutely. Help, so, helping us get meaning, like we kind of need relationships to, like, like I guess as a litmus or a guide to, you know, like is that is that the takeaway here too? Like, is that part of it? That can certainly be a part of it. It's meaningful to spend quality time with people that you care about. Okay. Um, that could be. You know, getting together for a weekend with some friends to play your Path to Glory campaign. Um, that could be connecting with that friend of yours on the other side of the world to see that model that they're working on. Um, or it could be interacting with your friends and loved ones who are hobby adjacent or maybe not that invested, who are just so excited that you're excited or are just so supportive. Thanks, Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would... would never play Warhammer just because it's not the type of game that she enjoys. But when there's a really cool model that she sees, she'll talk to me about like, oh yeah, that model's super cool. Or, oh, I love how the paint's coming along on that thing. And I know that she's not invested in the hobby, but she's invested in me. And her enthusiasm makes me feel good. Makes me feel like what I'm doing has an extra layer of meaning. So I, I want to just kind of like recap a couple things you said here. Positive weight. That that's mm -hmm. feels like a bit of an oxymoron to me. When I think of weight, especially in a psychological sense, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulder. You know, mm -hmm. being weighed down. When you say positive weight, you mean like, yeah, I guess what is... it? It could I know be you listed some examples, but yeah, sure. It could be a burden you willingly take on, or it could be something that is meaningful and carries some responsibility or some consequence, but you're choosing to engage in that. Okay. As opposed to, you know, this is a situation that may have some consequence or some risk, and I didn't ask to be here, and now I'm trying to make the best choice I can. Yeah, so don't be like Jensen um, from from Human Resolution. I I didn't or from Deus Ex Human Revolution. I didn't ask. Oh for this. right, yeah. Yeah, like I didn't ask for this. So you want to be a little bit more on the like driving a like you said like a, a student organization that teaches people wargaming or something like that. Um, of course, would... you, something like that carries responsibility, but you're choosing to take on that responsibility because it serves something that is important to you. Okay. That that weight is a part of what makes it so meaningful. Okay, so so the weight it helps sort of like gratify that, or it helps it helps it helps add that meaning in. Um, so you could sure. like start like a, a mental health uh, charity once a year. That raises money for mental health. <laughs> like, for, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. if you if you had started that once a year and it was help me pay for my new army, you'd still get people who would donate, but probably they wouldn't be nearly as invested in it uh, if, if you did that. The meaning. But is, the fact that you're right. saying the, the meaning's not there. The weight's not there. I'm I'm putting that money in, but that donation doesn't really mean that much to me. Yeah. Um, maybe it means something to some degree because I'm happy that you're happy. 
But knowing that my money is going to an organization I care about that does good work for people and, you know, has a good rating on Charity Watch. Okay. All right. That's, that's a good thing. That money means something a little more now. Right. So you see that that self promotion there, everyone. It was subtle. It was real subtle. <laughs> we're we're all about the subtle self promotion this episode. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, all right, so yeah, um, so, so like that, like I like the positive weight. Really, kind of like felt like a keyword to me. So that the voluntary, voluntarily engaging in in something that has some consequences, and you're trying sure. to, you know, get some betterment. It, there's also some. Never mind. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to do a leftist tangent. We've got a new audience here. I don't want to alienate them immediately with my dirty left leftism thoughts on like direct action and <laughs> uh, direct action and community and stuff like that. Like, but like direct action and community are just good tent pole, uh, like good good sort of like tent poles for life. Everybody. Um. Sure. <laughs> but but there there is something that can guide us here about if we're going in the wrong direction. Okay. Okay. Um. We have off. We have heard the term cognitive dissonance. We've even talked about it to some degree on the show. Um, but cognitive dissonance. One definition of it is when it's the discomfort that we feel when our emotions, our behavior, and our beliefs are not aligned. And often, our our beliefs are connected to our values. And when we're acting in ways that are not aligned with our values, we feel very uncomfortable. And we get that dissonance. So if you ever need a litmus to tell you you're heading in the wrong direction when it comes to engaging in meaningful activities and having meaningful pursuits, if you're feeling that dissonance, that discomfort with your actions, that's probably a sign you're not actually engaging in your values or you're not living up to them. And that helps to point you in the direction that will help to resolve that. What about taking on too much weight, like trying to Sure. gather meaning like trying to like get meaning in in your hobby trying to get meaning in your thing um maybe an example might be like i'm gonna paint this 2000 point army in a week you know or something like that uh, like how do you yeah for sure you know like like how like trying to f- get meaning but taking on too much weight how you know that feels like that could be a risk here absolutely our our pursuit of what's meaningful because these things do tend to have some weight to them, they 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 are important. They tap into our values. They tap into things that um, might even carry some consequence to them. You can go too far, and then you wind up adding too much. Now it has become a burden, and not a, a and it, not an enjoyable burden, not a burden you take on because it's it's worthwhile for you to do that. It's now an overwhelming burden. Um, and I, I think you can actually speak to this really comfortably. I mean, think about the fact that you have a show you do every week. You engage with people on Twitter and on other social media platforms and on Discord. Um, you have your own aspects of the hobby. You have your own family. You know, even just in trying to handle what is Rantcast, the broader Rantcast community, which is a meaningful goal for you, that's a lot. And there's a lot that goes into it. And that can be overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, we we've I mean, it's self-referential. I don't feel bad referencing myself for stuff like this to help contextualize it for other people because they can. My, when I talk about myself, it's not to talk about myself or you know mm-hmm. whatever. It's it's to be like look, this thing happening to me. Maybe this is similar to how other people are feeling, and they can get some useful utility out of it. Um, right now, the Meftober Marathon. This is my 
fifth, there's the pumpkin, fifth an- annual version of this. This doesn't come with a giveaway. There's no charity event involved in this, unlike the Rantathon. Like, this is just for, this is something I do for me. Like, I, like, I love s- scary games, but as I've become an adult, I love scary movies and s- scary games and s- death stuff. And, you know, it's just, I, my inner goth has just always been very strong, okay, <laughs> is all I'm saying. Um, and, and like, so this is something I do for me, right? Like, I, I do this for me. And um, it was pointed out to me that I'm taking on too much, even though it feels fulfilling. Like, how are you still running your podcast weekly? Like, you know, it's not mm-hmm. easy tracking down guests, always having the, like, the wherewithal to have a compelling conversation. And, and you know, it, 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 t- it takes effort, you know, not a ton, not a ton, everybody, like, I... <laughs> A little bit of effort on my part, but don't listen to him. I've I've looked at OBS. It is a lot of effort. That <laughs> software is uh, it's Byzantine. Byzantine. Yeah, yeah. Grand um, strategy games have been created that are less complicated than OBS. Yeah, Twilight Imperium is is easier to navigate than a podcast, especially once you get into like audio editing and crap that I'm not good at, but I have to do. Like um, taking on like too much, and it's all fulfilling, and still feeling like a fatigue in it all, and trying to check in with myself is it still worth it is the 31 days of horror movie randomizer (laughs) in the awesome coffin of death of of terror destiny you know like is it was it all worth it to you know to do this all was i spreading myself too thin uh hades sharing a um a link am i gonna write a 500 word short story for black library am i gonna enter that and uh, I I want to like the stakes are clear the meaning is clear but like you know the validation some of the stuff we talked about earlier on in here like sure you know all of that stuff would be there but I the weight can I take it on right now and with everything piling up elsewhere in my life still trying to be get some positive get some positivity back in here because like like you said we focus on the negative there's that negativity bias like trying to like have fulfilling meaningful things to kind of not necessarily offset the negative negative is going to be negative from my perspective negative is going to it going to negative (laughs) (laughs) but finding a better perspective like finding higher ground and finding meaning in that higher ground for me is is where i go and i don't have an answer like i i don't i can feel when i start it and like i said i'm lacking some of these other parts you know, mm-hmm. part of it is maybe I haven't been flowing. You know, like I, I haven't, even though I'm doing all this work, I haven't necessarily hit a flow state with, I did with the movie marathon. I did two streams of like literally like every movie that I think people should watch. And then I had to like, and then suddenly I'm just like looking up like trailers and trying to, you know, so that did happen, but sure. that was the closest. Yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and, and I think that was exactly what I was going to say. No one part of this can really stand alone and lead you to satisfaction. If you are engaged in many meaningful pursuits, that's a great thing. But if they've become so overwhelming, you're not finding the joy in them in the day to day. You're not getting that flow because a lot of it's starting to feel more like work or labor or drudge work even. Mm-hmm. Um, your relationships are, are not either not able or not willing to support you or, or have just reached capacity. Heck, I just haven't talked to anybody, offer. right? Like I haven't right, you yeah. know, like been so busy making stuff. I haven't talked to anyone. So where's the relationship aspect, right? Like for sure. Yeah. We, we all have met someone whose life is 
very busy and meaningful and they're engaged in something important, but they are always busy. They are always on. They're always doing things. And, you know, if we get to know that person a little better, we've probably seen them in some of those private moments where we realize that's exhausting. So meaning is a crucial part where we always like to know that our, our efforts and our labors are valuable, but it's important to remind ourselves that we can overwhelm ourselves. We can get too deep and we need to have some of these other parts as well. Okay. Right. Right on. I noticed we're, so to say, hey, go ahead. So, so in the interest of trying to bring us home here, if you're doing all a bunch of these different things, somewhere along the way, you're going to rack up accomplishments. Accomplishments and achievements are these positive moments that we look back on and we say, that was great. That was really cool. I'm really glad that happened. This starts to get into that realm of gratitude. Um, but these are also things that we take ownership of. And when we have these achievements, they help so much to, to give that broader positive context to what we're doing. Whether that's placing well at a tournament or having a bunch of people just admire your, your latest paint job or your latest conversion or seeing a tournament that you're, that you're running or an event that you're running come together or that school league, how excited the kids are to, to be joining and engaging with one another. L having those accomplishments in our history and being able to reflect and savor those and be grateful for them, that also helps to boost us up and to feel like what we're doing means something so so accomplish the the accomplishments does tie in a little bit with the uh with the what was the positive emotions right where the gratitude and the and uh savoring so it ties in a little bit but how does it how does it differ because like we we can sure yeah so what's what's the distinction between an accomplishment so and just like my cup of coffee story like I don't think that's quite sure. an accomplishment this morning, you know, but right. Yeah. It, it often is more about fulfilling a goal. You know, it, it might be a little G goal for you to get that good cup of coffee <laughs> okay. in the morning, but it's a little bit bigger than that. But it also depends on, on where you're at in your day, because there's daily ways we can look at accomplishment, but then we can also look at it in a broader sense too. Okay. It's our ability to reflect on our past successes, uh, celebrate our past achievements, and also to set appropriate goals that we know we have the capacity to meet. Um, it may not necessarily be guaranteed. We're maybe not guaranteeing an outcome, but it's something that is realistic for us to be able to do. And then when we execute it, that now becomes an achievement we look back on. Well, this is, this is the three and two person. This is a person who right. doesn't think they're great at Warhammer. But wants to pull off a three and two, or they think they're bringing a jank list, and they're like, "Man, I'm bringing this like this silly like like jank tier list." But if I can take it three and two, like I have accomplished my goal for the weekend. Like that's classically exactly. that. Yeah. yeah, right, for sure. That is absolutely a part of this. Having that that personal goal that you feel is achievable, that is uh, that is wrapped up in it. Um, I heard a great discussion of this the other day. I forget which of our podcasts it was on, um, but they were talking about that idea of if you go to an event and your goal is to win the event, there is only one person who can do that. And so if you lose that, if you miss out on that, then your, your goal was actually pretty selective and pretty hard for you to meet. Mm -hmm. But if your goal was something like, I'm going to bring Darkling Covens 
and I want to win one game. I don't have to win the event, but I just want to get one win and I want to bring this army to the event. Well, that's that's pretty doable. I've done that before. That's often the place that I'm in with Darkling Covens. But then if you go a little bit farther, then how how that builds off the achievement. But if your goal is, I'm going to go win this 200-person tournament with a Darkling Covens list, if you pull that off, that's a big achievement. That would be a great thing to look back on. But if that's <laughs> where you're setting your bar, it's maybe unrealistic. And so you might be setting yourself up for failure. Right on. Right on. The... um. Is there a, like a sort of dark side to accomplishment, like with having goals too low or anything like that? Or we're, we're not necessarily, that's not I think necessarily related. Yeah. There, there is, but it comes more in the form of invalidation. Okay. We are always much harsher with ourselves than we are with other people. We're, we're always much worse critics of ourselves than we are with other people. And it's very easy for us to invalidate our own successes to chalk them up to external factors, uh, luck, I chance, especially this. I had too much help. Especially in our game. Yeah, which which has a, a luck component to it. Oh my I just rolled really hot. Or my opponent rolled really poorly. Or oh, you know, other good painters didn't show up to this. That's why my my model did so well. So you're invalidating a, your accomplishment by finding some sort of negative thing to focus on, maybe. Absolutely. You're, you're stealing the achievement and the accomplishment away from yourself, uh, perhaps because you feel you don't deserve it, perhaps because of, of many other reasons. But we can certainly undermine and sabotage this process very easily. And that's where having good relationships comes in. Having someone like Nick True uh, come over to you and be like, stop talking badly about your paint job. Your models look good. Yeah. You should be happy with your models. Yeah. Or or having or knowing like, okay, I may not lose this game, but I actually made Brendan break out into a sweat. It may have been <laughs> one drop, it may have been one bead of sweat, yeah. but I made him sweat for a moment. Yeah. And that was my accomplishment there. <laughs> so so trying to find that place where uh you're you're supporting yourself here. If you're having a hard time recognizing your achievements, get somebody else who does. And builds you up. It's not bad to have a, a personal hype man. They're called friends. <laughs> That's good. Uh, man, Zach, LOL, I'll find reasons not to finish or stall my projects. Chalk it up to indecisiveness. How, I, I, can, can Perma help someone like Manzac? Manzac is a, an absolute like baller of a hobbyist. Does some mm -hmm. some of the best conversions, I think, in a, in I see in my personal Twitter feed. Um, I mean, in the top three of people I think of when I think of green stuff, like um, Marok, Wolfman, Zach, like, mm. um, and then, you know, sometimes Tristan. And, you know, that third slot, like, has a recency bias to it, right? Like, it, whatever. Sure, it's. yeah. Um, like, it, can Perma help, help Manzac out a little bit? Like, like with indecision and trying to accomplish something? Like, how sure, do Sure, absolutely. Um, I think there's there's a couple of different routes that you could take there. Um, well, we're going to quickly run through the acronym, and then maybe that's a good place to start wrapping up. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's say, let's say you're you're facing a hobby project that you've stalled on, or, or you're indecisive about where to go. Well, is one of those different uh, ideas actually bringing you some joy or some excitement right now? There's no shame in setting aside something that has lost its luster if you have another project that has captured your attention. That's okay. That might be problematic if that means buying a whole bunch of new stuff that maybe you can't afford right now. 
But, you know, if you've got another project on another table and you're saying, hey, I do kind of want to work on that socialist militia pan-elf army that I've been planning for so long. Okay, maybe pick that up for a little bit. It's bringing you a positive emotion, so dive into it. Or let's say you're not getting that sense of engagement anymore. You know, like we said, you're painting your 57th grot for your army and it's just not really doing it for you. Well, maybe you shift gears there. Do something related. Um, maybe another model or terrain is the one that people always point out here that if you need a palette cleanser, go do terrain. Hmm. Or if you're finding you're just not getting your list to come together the way it, it does, play something totally different. Break it up and do something that might capture that flow a bit more. Um, if you're finding that you're really stalling out, pull from your relationships. Let them boost you up. Or maybe let them give you some guidance or some advice. Or even just say, hey, work on this instead. Just don't worry about this for right now. Mm -hmm. Or let them be the push that says, hey, I'd really like to see how this turns out. Maybe just finish one more part of it. Yeah. And Zach, I've got a I've got a slot on Rantcast for when you finish your Araby army. How about that? How's that for an <laughs> en enticing use of our relationship? <laughs> yeah, there you go. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, accountability is also a part of our relationships, right? You know, this is uh, this person knows that it's meaningful. Hey, I know you want to get that Araby army done and you're going to be so proud once it's done. You know, maybe just don't do anything today, but start fresh tomorrow. Yeah. And meaning is a huge part. If you're starting to stall out, if you're starting to, uh, to, uh, we'll go with stall out. Why think of another thing? What was the reason you started on this? What made this meaningful and important to you? Is that still meaningful and valuable to you? If it is, maybe that's the reason enough to keep at it. And maybe you don't need to do a lot today, just a small step forward. Our, our big things that capture meaning, often we do in small steps. You know, we don't do them in big leaps. Yeah, how do and you eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? Like this. One bite at a time, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's and one of my favorite phrases to go to because of the A Perfect Circle album. Thank you, everybody. You're welcome. Oh. Maynard James <laughs> Keenan is my personal Jesus. Uh, and, and lastly, accomplishment and achievement. Knowing that you've got it done or knowing that uh, something else, you're going to be happy to finish it up. Or if you need a small victory, that's okay. Go for those too. If so, uh, This happens to me all the time when I consider a conversion. I get all the pieces out and I'm like, I'm completely overwhelmed and I have no idea where to start. So I go build something that's, you know, push fit or where I follow the instructions every step of the way. <laughs> sure, I still built something. That's still an achievement. Maybe I'll come back to that. Uh, that slaughter queen soul render conversion at some point. But, uh, you know, for right now, I'm not having to worry about mo model pieces being at a different scale. Right. So, so we've kind of recapped perma usefulness in the hobby. Um, I have one question because I feel like there's my, my only follow up question really to all of this is like, I feel like doing all of this, I could go into the danger zone of getting full of myself. And I mm. everyone knows that I don't need any help with that I've, I've got a pretty pretty healthy ego <laughs> like like, like do i should i be worried about the danger zone of enjoying my coffee a little bit too much or that hand dust just you know too much you know savoring the hand of dust and then like you know high-fiving my friends for the relationship of this is how many people i've hand of dusted like should i be worried about like too much you know, you know, should I be worried about becoming too full of myself if I'm way too positive, like, using this? Like, 
one of the really interesting things that I have found in the work that I do, um, I work with a lot of people with anxiety and a lot of people with depression, and often they don't necessarily have a, a great view of themselves. And one of the most common fears they share with me about doing self-compassion work or, or work more in the positive psychology realm is, what if I get too full of myself? What if I get too arrogant? Sorry for being a what stereotype if... there. Um... <laughs> oh, no, this is, this is not a stereotype. It is human. That when you're on one side of the spectrum, moving up a little feels like jumping to the other end. That if you become a little bit more confident, a little more invested in some of the things you do, a little bit more willing to savor the positive moments, you fear becoming a hedonite. <laughs> And that's just not likely to happen. So you're, I'm not going to go from like from like comfortably Nagash all the way to Hedonites of Slanesh just by like savoring and uh, you know showing some gratitude and uh, you know engaging in that flow state more often and and seeking it out. And so I'm not um, not going to go full Hedonites of Slanesh. Just that's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'll 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 leave that. I'll wrap that up with one of my favorite moments from Agatha Christie's Poirot. Um, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, Poirot is a, a Belgian detective in, I think, post-World War II Britain. And so he stands out. He's a little bit different than your, your average Londoner. And one of the things that he gets dinged for a lot of the time is that he has a very high opinion of himself. He comfortably says he is the best detective in the world. And... Uh, his his friend, Captain Hastings, a very like proper British person, um, calls him out on that and says, how can you say that? How can you say you are the best detective in the world? Isn't that a little full of yourself? And he says to him, I don't understand this false modesty that you have. This is based on the facts. I am the greatest detective in the world. I have solved the most complex and the most, uh, you know, like vile and dangerous cases. It's not lying to say, I am great. And I don't understand why I wouldn't own that. Now, that's, that's not exactly his wording, but that's basically what he explains. He says, if I am truly great, why not recognize that I am great? It doesn't do anyone any favors to say less. Hmm. Now, granted, you could definitely say that Poirot is a little too full of himself. But he's also one of the first people to recognize, oh, I made a huge mistake. That was a terrible blunder. I should be better than that. Right, because you hold yourself to a high. If you are, if you have that opinion of yourself, oftentimes you hold yourself to that standard, or worse, right? Like sure, yeah. Um, but he has the benefit of being a fictional character and being able to say, "Well, yeah, I should know better because I am truly great." If an amateur made this mistake, I wouldn't think anything of it because they are an amateur. So something to keep in mind. Looks like uh, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, Caleb Kane is is absolutely right. I mean, uh, David Suchet will always be my favorite Poirot, but Kenneth Branagh did a great job. Yeah, yeah love that. Love love the Agatha Christie there at the end to uh, to, 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 to wrap it up. So um, anything, any final thoughts on, on Wacky Lists, Illumina, or uh, sorry, uh, Umbraneth, uh, or, or, or Perma and Positive Psychology? Um, Umbraneth, uh, Games Workshop, please. <laughs> Please, sometime soon uh before fourth edition can we agree on before fourth edition i think that's reasonable uh, i came into the hobby saying oh yeah uh, malarian's in the setting he'll get an army at some point in six years games workshop 
Just don't make me wait until fourth edition, okay? Um, as for that perma, you can find very easily online. Positive Psychology does a great job at making its information available. Um, there's a great article about it on positivepsychology.com. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, actually have the link in the description for the video uh, for those people watching back on the VOD. Um, great. And and one of the nice things about positive psychology is a lot of their work has gone into making their information accessible. So if you want to know more about any part of PERMA or just PERMA in general, uh, go on there and learn more about it. Um, or if you want to know more about positive psychology in general, Martin Seligman is always a, a great place to start that journey. Um, as for me personally, if you want to find me on Twitter or send me a message, that's the best way. You can find me at Moderate Pants. I'm a, a proud member of the Pants Mafia of, in the here in the Midwest. And we do have a YouTube channel where we put up some uh, uh, Pants to Glory is our, our Path to Glory, COVID Path to Glory campaign. Um, so we've got a few older campaigns there that we've already finished and, and one that's in the works that's... Uh, Crawling along, but still going. And we've got some other battle reports and stuff on there, too. So if you want to check that out, it, uh, it's on uh, Pants Mafia AOS on YouTube. And, man, Alex, thank you so much for coming on tonight. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, speaking of flow state, I didn't realize we'd been going on for three hours. Like, <laughs> I just now checked the time. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much, man. Um, of course. Uh, blast. I love... I love the co the combination of Warhammer and psychology, or like Warhammer and philosophy, and you know something I, I try to read up on them both. Like that combo, I feel like there's so many parallels in the fulfillment aspects of like this game because it, it touches on so many spheres of one's personality and has the community and the social aspects that humans need. Mm -hmm. It's got what you crave, right? Like uh, it it just it feels like it's kind of perfect for for helping get some of these concepts out there so so thank you so much for coming on and making it fucking a blast man um <laughs> so happy to be here thank you for having me and uh and i agree we can tap into a lot of aspects of perma so hopefully this gave people some some food for thought about how they can do that for themselves yeah, right on and chat gang thank you so much for being with us tonight you know you are the show within the show the reason i do this thing uh drink your milk pay your taxes and i am going to be back with muff after dark we got to start playing some spooky games so it's meftober after all the best month i the, <laughs> a month so good that i have uh you know i'm really savoring it and making it my own <laughs> like really just <laughs> good night everybody we'll see you next time bye everyone